0: and all our knowledge culminated in the manufacture of this at the time it was called the conscience of mariners mariners that is the name of our planet at first this machine was simply a judge
1: and jury that was never wrong and unfair and then we Added to it, improved on it, made it more and more sophisticated so that finally it became possible to radiate its power and influence the minds of men throughout the planet. They no longer had to
2: decide what was wrong or right. The machine decided for them. Welcome to Time Streams. I'm Nathan.
1: And I'm Juliet.
2: And in this episode, we talk about the Doctor Who serial, The Keys of Marinus. Mm. So, how are you doing this week, Juliet?
1: Well, you know, hanging in there. Uh, about the best that I can. Uh, lost a close friend last week, so that was unexpected and rough. Uh, family and intubated in the ICU with COVID, because oh. that's always awesome. Oh. Yeah. So good.
2: So- I- I've got a cough, and so does my wife and my daughter. And now we're playing like, is this like, you know, some sort of like, uh, bad allergy, uh, summer cold, or COVID? Also, Ready. so yeah.
1: So yeah, but that's that's it. Nothing crazy going on with the animals, um, which is good. But uh, just the rest of the world has kind of gone crazy. How are you doing?
2: Well, um, uh, actually, my dog uh, last week had a mysterious hole in his leg. What? Uh, yeah. So like uh, we just noticed he was laying down and it's like it wasn't like gushing blood or anything, but it was like you could see like the flesh. Beneath his fur, you know, like it was, it was like a circular hole. Like I'm wondering, it looks like he was bashed against like a piece of hardware because it's like a circle. Okay. And I'm at a loss as to where or what this was because he's. We have a fenced-in yard. There's nothing really exposed on the fence, like a like a nail or anything. It
1: hasn't gotten worse, has it? Like, oh oh no, we took him to the. We
2: had to take him to the the because it was on the weekend that we discovered it. We had to because he did. He started favoring his like So at first I was like, hey he's it's not bleeding you know he doesn't seem to be like in pain he's not whimpering or anything so Mm -hmm. you know just wrap it and you know let it you know let sleeping dogs lie but um he uh he he started favoring it later and uh my wife said when she took out because i was at the store and she said when she took off the bandage to take a look that it was like pussy Ooh. And so it was like, so then she took him to the, you know, emergency vet. And, um, so yeah, he, uh, he, he got it stapled shut and we're giving him antibiotics and all that stuff now, but I still have no idea how it happened. I don't know what, you know, cause like when they said that he had a cut or something, I, was thinking, you know, something like a slash. Right. Right, but when I looked at it, it was like a p- almost perfectly circular like hole.
1: So more like a puncture?
2: Yeah, like a puncture. Yeah. And I'm still not sure what caused that perfectly circular hole. So
0: but, weird.
2: Yeah, very weird. But he's fine now. I mean, he's he doesn't want to take his pills, but, you know, he's <laughs> he's fine. He, he's not like the cat though. He doesn't really fight. He just like doesn't want to open his mouth. You know, Dude, I, I have know to re- adults
1: who don't want to take
2: their <laughs> <milk>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But it's it's not like the cat at least who fights like tooth and claw. <laughs> he he just is very reluctant. He'll walk away from me and I'll have to make him stay and he'll <laughs> he just, <laughs> I give him treats and stuff, but he's still, you know, kind of yeah. about it. Yeah, so that's that. Like I said, my wife is uh is actually worried enough. Like at this point I'm like, you know what? I could have had COVID like a half dozen times by now and just not realized it.
0: Mm -hmm. And if
2: I'm not, like, having severe, like, respiratory issues or anything, it's like, oh, well. Uh, But yeah, she's convinced enough, because she's been coughing so much that she's going on Tuesday to get tested, because that's the earliest time she could get. So, yeah, yeah, so we'll see. Maybe, maybe we have the plague and didn't even realize it, so... (sighs) <sighs> good times. But yeah, and my uh my daughter is watching Gargoyles.
1: What does she think of it so
2: far? She likes it so far, really loves Puck, which I expected because mm-hmm. her favorite characters are always those type like Q is like her favorite character in Next Generation. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the latest version of My Little Pony, but Discord is her favorite character yes. in that. Yeah. So yeah, she's big Discord fan. So
1: <laughs> Well, I mean, it it helps that it's also John Delaney. Right,
2: yes, exactly. It's it's basically Q you in my little pony world but in fact that's the whole reason the whole reason i even sat down to watch it with them is because i was like wait what are you watching i thought they were watching next i was like how are you watching next because this is before she and i started watching star Trek. i'm like you're watching next generation i run in there and i'm like oh no (laughs) it's john delancey saying things that i you know would think q would say Uh (laughs) but in My Little Pony. So, yeah. But, yeah, she's liking it so far. We just finished uh, City of Stone. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll binge through that one pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, because we watch like two episodes a day. She doesn't like binge watching things. Like her attention span isn't. But two a day. She's fine with frequency, just not a long time at any given one point. So
1: I can understand um, that.
2: Yeah, we'll get through it pretty quickly. But so she shared her favorite show, which was Avatar. And now I'm sharing my favorite cartoon.
1: Yeah, we won't even talk about your lackluster enjoyment of Avatar. <laughs> oh, <close my>
2: heart. <laughs> I mean, it's good for a kid's show. <laughs>
1: I really want to push you to watch *Cora* because boy does that delve into some more adult. Sh-
2: My daughter says *Cora* isn't that good.
1: Oh no! Ignore your daughter on that one.
2: Oh okay. <laughs> she's like it's fine but like she's like she's like the whole second season is just garbage she's not like she's like it's okay like the rest of it's okay but it's not like she's like avatar is the pinnacle and Laura's is just kind of like eh.
1: i think cora is more for the kids that maybe grew up with avatar and are mm. now more adult okay and that's how it kind of felt to me it okay. definitely has a different feel like when i first watched it i had loved avatar and i watched cora and i was like mm, i don't know if i like the feel of this and then i got into it and I'm like yeah no it's cool
2: okay very interesting all right but yeah no well well, well Oh, I'm sure in the fullness of time we'll go through all of it I mean we're midway through Star Trek New Space Nine now too so I mean well I've made a commitment that I'm gonna watch through all the Star Treks I'm gonna force myself to watch Enterprise uh, Yeah, I I know I know <laughs> it's the only Star Trek that's ever defeated me but you know I'm gonna so just push myself to like watch it through so my negative opinions can be truly valid
0: <laughs> oh
1: no I, I get that I watch things that I know I'm gonna hate just so I can legitimately hate
2: them because that That's what people tell me, all the all the enterprise defenders are always like, Well, you didn't watch season three or season four, so you don't you don't know it got like way better. So all right, fine, I'll watch (laughs) through the whole thing so that then when I tell you that it stinks, (laughs) I'm backed up with evidence. (laughs) So Uh, i'm sorry we're digressing a lot here are you familiar with a comedian named lewis black
1: oh gosh yes
2: okay lewis black to me is one of the funniest comedians. i love like how like angry and like he can get so like just worked up about things and so (laughs) it's my kind of humor i don't know (laughs) i have a
1: friend who adores him (laughs) just
2: like So I always, like, kind of, like, imagine that as, like, the thing, like, when I'm, like, talking about, like, a show that I don't like or whatever. It's just, like, getting all worked up. But but anyway, I probably could never be quite as good as he is at that kind of thing. But sometimes I feel like it. feel like i'm getting that worked up okay so keys of marinus so it's kind of funny because you know everyone always talks about marco polo being this like hugely ambitious thing and of course we can't see it so that hurts you know we only have the photos but this one is also hugely ambitious oh yeah because the whole like, like every episode every 25 minutes it's a new location and they've gotta completely create all the sets and everything you know instead of most doctor who stories because you know there's several episodes long you build the sets and everything but then you reuse them for several episode so I mean like this was a lot of work a lot of effort put into this one and the designer I don't know if you had a chance to see that DVD extra I posted but like the designer is so down on himself on this one because he's like they ask him like are you proud of anything from this one and he's like no not a thing (laughs) wow and I'm actually watching it going like knowing that they like did this all last minute and you know they had their normal budget but had to create six worlds instead of one Mm -hmm. um you know it's kind of like that's not bad <laughs> I mean, we'll get to the one. One of them, I think, is bad. But, like, the rest of them, I think, are all pretty good. So, you know. So what do you think of, like, the whole, like, quest sort of aspect that they did on this one?
1: It, it was fun. It felt a little rushed at some points. Mm. But it was interesting. I didn't mind it.
2: Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, the nice thing about it is it keeps anything from dragging.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, but then at the same time, you never have enough time anywhere to, like, build anything thing up you know to a really big degree it's like by the time you've like sort of set up the situation you have to solve it and then get on with it you know move on to the next place right oh oh the thing that I really like about it though is that so often in science fiction not just Doctor Who you could say the same thing about Stargate or Doctor Who it's like the whole world is basically where you arrive you know like they arrive somewhere and then it's like they'll meet like the people around where they arrive and the assumption is the whole planet is like that Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's some exceptions of course but that's the traditional thing because you know you don't have the time in you know a 45 minute show or whatever to like explore a whole planet and be like well there's different countries and the people here think this and people here and so I kind of like this one because it's like Marinus is a whole world each location feels like it's a very different place and the people there have their own ways of doing things and whatever so, oh, definitely. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, so this one is by Terry Nation, creator of the Daleks. And they knew from when he made that one that he was really good at cranking scripts out pretty quickly. And so when they had another story fall through, they called him up and said, could you give us a story really quickly? And so he did this you know, storyline. But the funny thing is we start getting some of his, some of the things you'll see are traditions for him. Mm-hmm. Like by naming things after words. So you have, like, oh, the first thing we notice is like a big, really big ocean. So the planet is Marinus. Yeah. And <laughs> you have a place where people hypnotize you uh, while you're sleeping. So it's Morphoton, like Morpheus,
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know. And the futuristic place is Millennius. You know, because of, you know, a thousand years, like, it's, you know, somewhat, like, futuristic and everything, so. Yeah, yeah, that's, this will become a Terry Nation trope of, uh, you know, like, the words that, you know, naming things afterwards, so, yeah, it gets a little goofy. So let's start off with episode one, The Sea of Death.
1: Yeah, that's a heck of a name.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I like this model shot at the beginning. I think that, you know, it's it's cool, like, sort of zooming in on the... I mean, the TARDIS looks a little goofy on it, but I like the sort of island thing with the pyramid that doesn't quite go up to the top and everything. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good start to the whole thing. I wrote in my notes, is this a Gualwold spaceship? <laughs> So yeah, everybody's in the uh, the console room. They're talking about the readings and everything. And one of the things that I noticed is like this is the first time that everybody seems to be getting along just fine as they're arriving.
1: I blame Ian's dressing jacket for that because what <laughs> is he wearing?
2: <laughs> it's oh something he goodness. got in the last story. It's uh, you see it in some of the pictures. It's uh, you know it's his sort of silk Chinese it's you know shirt that he got.
1: So weird compared to everybody else right now.
2: Yeah. He looks everybody like he else to go has said the lounge. time to change. Right. <laughs> yeah, everybody else has said the time to change. Yeah, apparently Ian really likes it, and the fact of the matter is, now that he, you know they're going on this little uh, tour of Marinus in this story, that means he's wearing this thing for quite a few days. Yeah. <laughs> probably gets a little funky uh yeah and the other funny thing is like they talk about like they're asking the doctor like why why isn't your screen like in color (laughs) and i think that's so funny that we have the tardis that's this super like futuristic you know it travels in time and space it's bigger on the inside but yeah we're watching things in black and white yeah But then we cut to these... Oh, Ian thinks he sees something move on the scanner. And that's how they end that scene. But then we cut to these adorable little... They're supposed to be submarines that are clearly like toys with somebody yeah, sort but, of dragging through like some water on a line.
1: Yeah, even me with no depth perception watching on black and white screen. I was like, there is something wrong with this perspective here.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: like tiny missiles. Are they tiny missiles? And then it turns out that they're, no, they're supposed to be big enough to hold a person.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just jumping ahead a little bit like this, these contain the Vord, who are alien species, or if they're not a species, they're like people in a costume sort of. It's never really quite clear, like the Vord, they talk about them being a different race or whatever. So we're never really quite sure because they never take those uh, wetsuit things that they're wearing off. So Juliet, I I talked about how we're going to have to have fashion talk for this episode. What do you think of the Vord?
1: What are those things on their heads? (laughs) <laughs> what in the world like i have no clue i i mean i get the wetsuit thing that's that's right. a- Understandable, I guess it's not like they're. Although at the same time, it's not like they're going to go planning and to swim in the ocean because we find out why not later on. So why are they wearing these? We don't know because you know one little nick and suddenly you're just a wetsuit with goo inside it. But I do not know what is the purpose of the thing on their heads. I, nobody explains it to me. I got nothing.
2: Well, I I think, and this is just me. You're right. They they, they don't say anything to explain it. The only thing I can think up is because they talk about how the Vor are immune to like the effects of the conscience that that's like their blocker it's like a, some sort of like antenna like blocker thing that keeps their brains from being affected uh huh <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to come up with something I don't know
1: <laughs> it was a really bad fashion choice
2: <laughs> alright so here's a fun fact that you might enjoy one of the guys who played one of the Vord wrote about his experience in a rubber fetish magazine <laughs>
1: That I love.
2: Yeah, I figured you would. And nice. then they did all these photo shoots because it's like, they were hoping like, oh, well, last time we did like a sci-fi one, like the Daleks, they look really big. Like now we have these Vord, they're going to be really big. So they tried so hard to like promote the Vord. And so there's like these shots, the, all these things of like the Vord menacing Susan. One's picking her up. It looks almost like something from like Creature from the Black Lagoon with like the woman in his arms and everything. And it's just, I just find it so funny. So I sent you one of those pictures, the one with Susan in the, in the arm of the fourth, but just like, <laughs> weird things were going on on the set. That's all. Yeah, so uh, they go outside. I love how nobody is, like, you know, cautious or anything. You know, Ian thought he saw something. And, you know, we've been in these situations. And, you know, nothing ever goes wrong, right? Right. Of course not. (laughs) So Susan wants to swim. And the doctor, thankfully, is smart enough to be like, we have no idea what lives in that ocean. That is not a good idea. And then they discover that the beach is made of glass instead of sand.
1: Mm -hmm. Or they find glass on it, at least. I was like, Mm -hmm. maybe... Maybe lightning strikes so That's how you get some glass out of sand. Yeah.
2: Normal, I, I'm,
1: don't be so surprised.
2: Right. <laughs> but then Susan sees, like, a little, like, tidal pool, you know, in the, you know, and it's like, oh, well, at least I can, like, sort of, like, you know, paddle my feet in there. But I'm like, if the ground is made of glass... Then probably at the bottom of the pool is glass too. Yeah. I'm like that's not a really smart idea even before we find out that the water is really acid.
1: Yeah no that that was a big thing
2: right.
1: <laughs> So like Susan just loses it
2: right yeah yeah because what they do is like her shoe falls into the pool accidentally and then they have the shot of it just like dissolving away it
1: looks pretty scary actually I'll give them credit for that
2: yeah yeah no it definitely looks it definitely looks convincing and yeah, yeah um, in the commentary uh, Carolyn Ford actually said that she didn't like how Susan was portrayed in this one because she felt like it was too childish I can uh, see that
0: yeah Yeah,
2: because yeah I mean it's like okay you'd be a little freaked out but not like you know like sobbing on Barbara's chest you know
1: Ian gives her his shoes and then walks back across the glass right go back to the tars. I'm like why did one of you be with shoes go back and get Susan a new pair
2: right yeah that that's was. I thought that was weird too because I'm like
1: John McLean did all
2: the way back find out that like you know um, Ian's trained with like uh, you know some monks in Tibet (laughs) or something and he can walk across glass without feeling like any pain oh my gosh (laughs) you know I've never walked across glass but being a parent I've walked across Legos and I gotta imagine it can't be any worse than that so So yeah, then Ian and Barbara are talking about it and they're like, you know, maybe this is just natural, but the fact that it's like, you know, a glass, you know, floor and acid water, it's like, maybe this is like, you know, a defense or something that's trying to keep some people out. But then, yeah, well, Susan goes back to the TARDIS wearing Ian's boots, uh, which has to be pretty yeah. awkward. Uh- <laughs> They find one of those submarine things that we were talking about. It's like some kind of glass or something. It's the size of a person. It's just like a person stays inside of it and then they can like pop the front of it off to crawl out. But this one has a wetsuit inside of it, but no body because they find out that there's a crack in the glass and there's a cut in the suit.
1: And that thing, they should have been much more careful about the sound. (laughs) It was so very obviously plastic.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, my thing is, all right, it's been in acid and it's come ashore. That thing would still have like acid droplets on it.
1: Yes, they were just touching it.
0: Right. <laughs> I like, this,
2: this is dangerous. This is not. You shouldn't be touching it. And even beyond that, the like where the doctor points to where the crack is on the submarine thing, it's kind of high. So once it came out of the water, there should still be acid in the bottom of that but, because and
1: on that wetsuit too that they start touching.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just start calling them stumpy because they won't have anything beyond their wrist. But yeah, and so then they, they they're looking around and they see because where they are, there's a bunch of like jagged rocks shooting up, and so it's all you know like pretty much at like eye level, but they see like a sort of gap between the rocks and they see the pyramid on the island. And at the same time, Susan comes out of the TARDIS, she's a ways away, and she sees the pyramid, and to set, instead of telling anyone like, hey, I saw this thing, she decides I'm going to go by myself to look at this place.
1: Oh, no, but that's just not just it. Before she got to the TARDIS, there was one of those wetsuit dudes trying to get in it. Yeah. And she did, and then he disappeared real quick. And then when she comes back out, she sees his footsteps and starts following them to this pyramid.
2: Oh, I missed that. Yeah. You caught something I missed. Oh, my God. <laughs> after, after me watching this show so many times.
1: <laughs> yeah, she totally was looking at the footsteps of this creature.
2: Oh, okay okay
1: and actually there's one of my notes after oh susan are you about to go off on your own is followed immediately by what the f is that thing on the front of its helmet
0: right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, yeah she follows it and the thing is is once she gets there i'm like obviously you lost the footprints what are you doing
2: yeah well it looks like an interesting place so i'm just gonna walk around and see if i can get lost and separated from everybody
1: Because that's of course what you do
2: naturally. (laughs) I do like how they did the pyramid, though, because you know if you look, you can tell that they've actually done like a forced perspective painting to make it look like it's way longer along the base. Mm -hmm. You know, but it actually works. Whereas the one in the Daleks didn't, because if you're not paying attention, it looks like it just keeps on going. You know, if you look, you just have to you know pay attention a little bit, and you notice that it's not. But at least it looks right. You know, Mm -hmm. whereas the one in the Daleks, the angle was kind of wrong, and it didn't really look that good yeah that everybody else notices that susan has been to the tardis already because her shoes are gone but they or ian's boots are back in there but they don't know where she went so they decide to go to the pyramid and then we go back to susan and she's about to walk around the corner of one of the you know of the, of the pyramid and, and one it's of standing the,
0: right there right
2: the board's right there but then it falls through the wall which sort of like flips around like a scooby-doo episode where the walls just kind of like flip around and then the person's like you know not there and so, uh, so when she rounds the corner, she doesn't see it. I don't know. Was I the only one who got Scooby-Doo out of this?
1: No. Now that you mentioned it, now I totally see it. But okay. at the time, I was just like, those are just really weird.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I just remember being a kid and watching all those Scooby-Doo things where like that would happen, where like the walls would flip around. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'd find the secret compartments and things. Yeah. So then the doctor and Ian, because they can't see Susan where they arrive at the pyramid, they decide to go around both ways. So that way they don't keep circling around and missing each other. Mm -hmm. But then Susan decides to lean up against one of the walls and it flips around too. And so she's in the pyramid and Ian and Barbara hear her scream and they run towards her, but they still don't see her because she's inside. And the doctor is pulled into a wall that spins around. So Ian and Barbara are like, okay, we didn't find Susan and the doctor should have rounded, you know, come around by now too. And, you know, we don't see him.
1: Now, when don't we go back then to Susan inside the wall, walking along a corridor, and there's one of those wetsuit people that's pretending to be a statue?
2: (laughs) Yes, so bad because it's like she should be able to see it so clearly because it is sort of like against the wall and I think there is something like kind of between her and it but not like perfect, like it's not like totally concealed. Right. It's like only like like there's a little like column or something on the wall that it's sort of partially obscuring it so I'm like this thing's got like a knife like raised. <laughs> He looks like
1: he's trying to be Kronk from Emperor's New Groove. He just <laughs> yeah. seems to be humming his own theme music and he'd be perfect.
2: <laughs> right. And then like this guy in like, like a white, you know, uh, hood walks behind her. She turns around. He walks away but then she keeps going backwards. It's like you're in an f- unfamiliar place. Why would you walk anywhere backwards?
1: Because why not? It makes for much more fun when you're like doing the story and you can walk into the dude who's about to stab you. Right.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, it attacks her and but then she like pushes it against the wall and there must have been like some sort of like a dagger trap or something in the wall cuz then like he stumbles away and there's a dagger in his back. Yeah. Yeah and then the the white hooded man comes back and he Mm -hmm. starts approaching and we cut away but then yeah ian and barbara are talking a bit then ian like walks around the corner barbara keeps talking and then she notices that he's not saying anything back and then she looks around and oh because ian has found a spinning wall right (laughs) ian's gone too so yeah and then ian finds the dead vord on the ground then Barbara's taken at some point because, yeah, the next the next time we see them, it's the Dr. Susan and Barbara are together in a room. I think she stumbled, like, also through a wall. I don't know. Did we see that? Because I don't remember. I don't have it in my notes what happened with Barbara. I just had that the next time we see them, they're in a room.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty together. sure that, that we see Barbara go through the spinning door, too. Okay. But I know that, I don't know if it was right then or not, because my next note is talking about when Ian saves the robed guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's after we see the Dr. Susan and Barbara in the in the room. And they're sort of just comparing notes about, you know, how they all got there. And, yeah, the hooded guys attacked and Ian jumps to his rescue.
1: And that was a really weird-looking fight. Yeah. Oh,
0: it was
2: so oh, weird. Oh, but my favorite, though, my favorite part of this whole thing is when they, like, push him through, like, the trap. When it's like very
1: a, obviously like a paper doll,
2: uh, right? Yeah, they they like a paper doll. It's a model shot of like a little pool with like this pit thing coming going down into it, and it's like a paper doll board like just dropped into it, and with a scream of "ah."
1: I mean, I know that they wanted it to look cool and dramatic, but it didn't. <laughs> you could have just had the scream and and just shown like nothing we could have just seen ian looking down into the hole
2: well and that's the funny thing because that's what they were originally going to do it was the designer that said hey it just looks like the guy just fell into like a closet you know you need to show what happened to him to make it you know so to the, to the people at home know what happened so that's why they did like the model shot
1: i hope of- somebody smacked that designer upside the head. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I agree with you. A scream receding into the distance is all you need, because then you know he didn't just fall into a closet. I mean,
1: if nothing else, you could have had, a, like, a cameraman laying on the ground looking up at Ian from a distance, and so it looks like there's this long distance between Ian and the camera.
2: Oh, oh okay, so so the, now we're getting into the problems with making this show. Uh, their cameras were huge. They didn't have, like, cameras you could hold in your hands. Oh, their funny. cameras were, like, the big things that you said to, like, sit, like, it's- in front of...
1: That's when you just, like, pretend that you're looking down and you're actually looking across into the camera. Oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, some of the directors come up with clever things to get around that. Like, sometimes they'd build the set up you know, like build it several feet high so that mm-hmm. then you can get a shot from down low looking up. But yeah, they talk about the fact that they could never get low shots in some of the commentaries because of the fact that like the cameras were so big and bulky, you couldn't get them like on the, like down towards the floor. So they would have to use tricks either with mirrors or, or building the setup.
1: It would have been better than the paper doll.
2: Right, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, then the guy who we, learn, we learn, we'll eventually learn his name is Arbitan, uh, the white hooded guy, who was actually Doctor Who's first celebrity guest star. I had no idea, but I, I saw this when I was looking up stuff about the episode. Uh, he was in Citizen Kane.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, he's like a really well-known actor back then that had been doing like movies and stuff like since the 30s and was actually kind of like a a big deal for them to get him for this part for just one episode, so yeah. But yeah, so um, he lets them out because Ian helped him so he realizes that they're not bad guys and he shows them this machine they have, which is like this big, it looks like a D20 that they've got like suspended and all these like this sort of like metal scaffolding around it. And he says that it's called The Conscience. And what it was originally was, it was a machine for like, for baking, like, it basically was like a computerized judge it would make judgments but then they like continued to improve it until like it actually had the ability to like mentally control people and make them make good decisions
1: yeah because influencing the minds of men with a machine that decides for them goes really well all the time
2: yeah this is a, this episode is so str- or this story is so strange because this is like a skewed Star Trek episode <laughs> because like in a Star Trek episode that would be like the villain
1: right and that's right? what I actually was thinking it was because now I'm sitting <laughs> there right. going I wonder what the boards Side of the story is. Right. Maybe they're really the good guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so Arbitan tells them that that worked for a while, but then Yartek, who's the, the leader of the board, gained immunity to it. And then he was able to show his followers how to break its influence as well. And so, of course, with them being able to do whatever they wanted, with everybody else like being like good law-abiding citizens, they were able to you know, run amok and rob and kill and do all that stuff. And so they decided then, or Arbitan and whoever was with them at the time, decided that they would remove like five micro-key circuits from the machine and they hid four of them because that way the machine would be off, people would be able to defend themselves and everything, but then they could continue working on the machine to improve it so it would control the Vord also. Mm-hmm. And now he, he feels like he's improved it to the point where that'll work, but now he needs to get people to recover the keys and he sent out everybody that lived with him on this island and nobody has come back.
1: I mean, that just bodes really well. Right,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> like you have a planet full of people that apparently can't be good people without a machine influencing <laughs> them. Maybe we should just leave this planet alone. Right. Well,
2: that's what they try to do. Because, like, the thing is, like, so he, he asks them because he's, like, the last person was my daughter. I sent her out last year. She hasn't come back. He's, like, I need you guys to do this for me. And they're just, like, nope, nope. not our problem.
1: <laughs> and then they find out he stuck a force field around the TARDIS.
2: Right. So he stuck a force field around the TARDIS so they can't leave. Although, here's <laughs> that scene. So they have to mime it, right? Because they don't have any effects for it or anything. So they're miming. Like there's this invisible like force barrier around the TARDIS, and then Susan, who's like, because they're all like in front of the door doing it, and Susan's mm-hmm. like, I'll go, you know, around to see if there's like any break in it, which is a fine idea. But then she slips in front of Ian to do that, and I'm like, wait a minute, if Ian's right up against the wall, like he's miming, how are you going in front of him? They did not plan that. Well. No, they just. I <laughs> Oh, man. But yeah, so it's all the way around the TARDIS. And then, like, Arbitan uses some loudspeaker or something to tell them that, yeah, I've done this. I didn't want to do it, but you guys kind of forced my hand. So I'll take this away if you agree to help me.
1: Yeah, so he's kind of a jerk.
2: Yep. So they go back. The doctor's really angry, understandably. But then Arbitan shows them he's got, like, these watch things that they can wear that, you know, they can twist it, the dial on it. And then that will teleport them to each of the places they need to go to so they can just instantaneously go to the next one right right
1: i could really use one of those
2: right no god (laughs) one that takes me to work and back home that's i mean i mean more would be better but you know even just that being able to just teleport to work and back i Mm -hmm. I'd be amazing i could get like a whole half hour extra sleep (laughs) (laughs) and And, like
1: barbara doesn't even wait she just like immediately just disappears
2: yep she just goes and so they have to because again this is the 60s so they have to do it where it's like she walks off in front of this perfectly black yes you know uh uh, background to teleport because they do like a thing where like it's you know split screen where like the screen she's on isn't the same screen everybody else is on so that they can just sort of wipe it so Uh it looks like she disappears a
1: little glooping sound
2: and, and so, yeah, as they're like, oh, we better follow. And Arbitan says, oh, last thing, if the Vord have taken over, you know, by the time you get back, then destroy the keys. Because absolutely, should they never have this? Right. And so they're like, okay, so they teleport away. And of course, after they teleport away, what happens? But a Vord, because they only took care of two of the, the three Vords, because there were four subs. One Vord died in the sub, and then two of them die in the fights. Mm-hmm. There's a third one. He sneaks up on Arbitan and kills him.
1: Oh, yeah, but no, not only does he not just kill him, like, Arbitan turns around and stares at this good dude for, I swear, <laughs> what feels like a good 10 seconds. He doesn't move, doesn't, doesn't do anything. He just stares right at him as this dude slowly lowers the knife in the slowest stabbing death I've ever seen. <laughs>
2: Well, uh, the part that I'm still boggling about is when they get back, the force field on the TARDIS is gone, but he had no time to turn that thing off. Nope. So, I'm still not clear why the force field isn't still on the TARDIS. I want to know more about the Vord. Actually, that's something we might do at some point is there... So, the Vord spoiler, are never used again after this story but there is uh, one of those audio plays that i told you about called okay. domain of the Void" uh that brings the void back and huh. so we could listen to that as like a sort of an extra cool yeah so yeah barbara uh teleported and so then they arrive and or they go and they they're in front of like this sort of wall and they're like oh barbara's travel dials on the flux they can't see her and, and so they pick it up. there's blood on it. There's blood on it. Woo. Dun, dun, dun! So, yeah, that's the end of episode one. I will say that I think that the main problem of this quest comes from the end of this episode in that we know that it's going to be pointless because the guy who was going to use it is already dead. hmm And I feel like that's the main issue is like we don't have a time limit. And there's nobody chasing them. And usually for quest type things, that's the stuff you use to ratchet up the tension, right? You either have like a time limit, like we got to get back in like X number of days or somebody's going to die or something. Or it's like, we got to pick these things up, but other people are searching for them too and we got to beat them to it. Right. And so I like the quest idea, but I feel like it wasn't set up properly when you know that at the end of it all, well, Arbitan already told them destroy the keys if the Vord have taken over. the board, We see the Vord take over at the end of part one.
1: Yeah, but I want to know what the Vord were going to do. Did they overhear that the dude sent them off to go get the keys? Because if they didn't, then how do they know where the keys are, that the keys are even missing, or anything? It's just there's no. just a whole lot of issues with the end of this one. Like, I would have been happier if maybe we'd killed off Arbatan in a cutscene in, like, a later episode in the arc.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. I think that that would have been better.
1: Not to mention, I still don't know if Arbitan's really the good guy or the bad guy, because I don't trust this machine or him.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, skipping ahead just a little bit, the doctor even says at the end of the story, like, yeah, having machines control people is really bad. And I'm like, why were you saying this in part one? (laughs) in any other story this would be the problem not yeah so it's like in, in any other episode like this would be the problem but in this one it's just kind of and and we get i mean the doctor just was like maybe the doctor just didn't want to argue with our was just like yeah no we're just gonna leave mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like you know this should have been a point for the doctor to express his anger at just the idea of what he's trying to do
1: oh very much so i mean the yeah. doctor is Very, very arrogant. He should have been all over that.
2: Right. So, yeah, again, it does. It feels. You can sort of see the places where you can tell that this was kind of rushed out quickly. And I think that's one of them. Like, as he was getting to the last script, he realized, you know, the doctor should have really said something about this. So I'll work (laughs) it in at the end. (laughs) So, episode two is The Velvet Web.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, that just sounds like some sort of weird kinky thing. Yeah. (laughs)
2: I thought you were going to say something like that. <laughs> and the episode doesn't make it any better.
1: No, no, it doesn't.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it cuts. goes back to them discovering, you know, the thing with the blood. And they're like, you know, hey, like, Barbara would not have left unless somebody forced her to. Mm-hmm. And they see that the wall they're standing in front of is actually kind of like a door that you know can sort of push apart and so they decide like okay we got to go in here and figure out what's going on so they push in but then suddenly there's like this really loud alarm and these flashing lights
1: i really hope nobody was epileptic
2: (laughs) yeah And so after it all stops, they look around and it's just like this beautiful, fancy Greek-looking sort of decor, lots of columns and statues and plants. And And there's
1: Barbara acting definitely not like Barbara.
2: Yeah, she's like being waited on by these people and she's changed into this dress. And it's like, the problem most people have with this is how did she have, like, she left maybe like a minute before the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And she's already had the time to like find out about the city, get changed, start eating, you know, <laughs> like seems a little off time wise. But other than that, so yeah, like it just looks like really nice everywhere. And, you know, Susan notices there's some fabric and Barbara's talking about, oh yeah, it's like, you know, they want me to choose so that they can make me another dress and
1: yeah, Susan acts a bit childish, hooked on that idea of fabric.
2: Yeah. And well, then he- I don't know. My wife would be like that. <laughs> it's like, I can have fabric, like any fabric I want. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: It's not just that, though. It's like, I want a dress made out of this. I want you to sure. make me a dress out. of. That's what it got to me. I'm like, uh,
2: okay, well, sure. I can
1: appreciate some pretty fabric and stuff, too. But <laughs> another thing that I-, I was noticing, Barbara points out, go ahead and eat, and they bring in some fruit and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think Ian or the doc, whichever one of them specifically mentions a pomegranate and my brain went is this some sort of weird like Hades reference are we never leaving mm. again if you eat these seeds
2: oh yeah uh, very much like I mentioned when I reviewed the like I did my own doctor who reviews like a long time ago and I never got through the whole thing but I looked back over it before we did this and I was comparing this to the odyssey okay because like the land of the lotus eaters You know, like you eat the fruit and then you never leave. So yeah, I definitely think he's playing with some Greek tropes with this. And I think the decor sort of points an even... You know, I point sort of a, a light in that direction also, so.
1: Yeah, Ian's actually the distrustful one in this mm. case and I'm siding with him on most of it.
2: Right, he's like uh, you know, I haven't seen the bill yet, and you know, like, you know, he's definitely like, yeah, you don't get something for nothing, you know, this is a little off.
1: And then enters Mr. Shady McNo Pants.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I found that there's a color picture of this outfit too and I sent that to you. Oh,
1: it's, I saw it. It doesn't make it any better.
2: I know. It's so oh. gaudy. Oh.
1: It's He's like... wearing a drape. He's wearing a <laughs> drape that I would have found in my nana's apartment.
2: <laughs> it's like this sort of reddish color. Oh, yeah. With Oh, yeah. it's I don't know. It just does not look good
1: the pants he just just the no pants kept bothering me so <laughs> yeah. much
2: it's so ever. yeah i mean you can see his underwear like we talk about women's mini skirts and stuff in shows and how short they are this is shorter than like 60s mini skirts
1: oh yeah no you definitely see his crotch yeah a lot <laughs> and up on the hip the bare leg yeah oh yeah and then, and that wasn't bothering me except for the fact that it just looks awful yeah it just does not look right
2: right and there's this sort of like almost like necklacey thing built into like like, like the collar that goes around and it's really big and gaudy and it just looks awful but apparently we're supposed to think it looks great because of how this place is but I don't. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> servants everywhere. We can give you everything you want.
2: Oh, but what do you think? So so the pictures also showed like the dresses that the girl like the serving people are wearing and that Barbara's wearing. What do you think of those?
1: Eh, they weren't terrible. They just looked yeah. cheesy.
2: Yeah. The blue was definitely too blue for the servants, I thought. I mean, obviously they knew they were gonna be on black and white, so that doesn't matter as much, but I, I mean I'm looking it at person- it in color and I'm like, ooh, that's too blue.
1: <laughs> I think they did the colors that bright just so they'd show up differently on the black and white
2: yeah yeah i get that part barbara's wearing nice decadent roman purple Mm. so you know It's a little more tasteful, right? Exactly. (laughs) So, so yeah, they're asking this guy, and he is like so bland. You know, his name is Altos, and he's just so bland in all his responses. And he remarks on it later that he doesn't blink. And if you watch him, if you go back and watch it, he literally does not blink. It is like kind of disturbing, right? (laughs) And so, yeah, he's telling them, "No, you can have whatever you want." I mean, that's the way our city is. You know, everyone here is content. And so Susan says, hey, give me a dress. And the doctor, of course, is super skeptical. He's like, yeah, whatever. He wants you know? a laboratory. Yes. Yeah, so he's like, give me a laboratory with every conceivable instrument. And they're like, it'll be done. And it's like, what? Really? Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then they all be like, oh, no, now we're sleepy.
2: Uh-huh. Everyone gets sleepy all at the same time. And
1: I was like, and of course you are, because the name of the city sounds too close to Morpheus.
2: Right. I, I do like, because, like, uh, the doctor and Susan go to lay down first, and Ian and Barbara are talking. And, man, I swear they were going to kiss at one point, because, like, <laughs> their faces are, like, so close to each other. Oh, and yeah. And she's trying, like, to convince him that everything's fine, and he's still really skeptical. But and she's like, just, let's
1: just go to sleep.
2: Yeah, they're so cute together no kiss yeah no kiss.
1: however we did get creepy eye painting
2: right <laughs> yeah so there's this painting in the background and as they go to sleep you start seeing this sort of like or hearing this sort of like almost like heartbeat sound in the background and the eyes on the painting glow Ugh. and then one of the servant girls comes out and puts this sort of like disc thing on everybody's forehead but barbara turns over as she's sleeping and hers falls off
1: Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up yeah. and then they somehow they realize that the alarm goes off, she's screaming and lights are flashing and I'm like, is this just an alarm? Is it doing something specific to her? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think that's supposed to be like if she was wearing the disc, this is what's beaming the signals into the brain to okay. like, you know, uh, cause them to, you know, see something different than what's really there. And so she didn't get hers because you know the thing fell off so everybody else is up the next morning and they're all happy oh we're having some orange juice
1: nobody's concerned now
2: right everybody's super happy but barbara's still asleep and they're like wow she must be really tired so they decide to wake her up and they this is where they do something really cool because they've built two sets
1: so they've showed it from the outside like normal but then they show it from like as if we're barbara
2: Mm -hmm. so we get the barbara's pov shot and everything looks horrible Mm -hmm. like it's moldy cobwebs what they think is like this fancy glass they're drinking out of is really just a mug
1: I started wondering what uh, Shady McNoPants was gonna look like when Mm. we saw him again (laughs) I was like will he still have no pants he still has no
2: pants. no he still has no pants he just is like less a cape I think and like some of his bling is gone like I think the necklace looking thing is off yes but yeah, like Susan, like to her, she has this really beautiful dress they gave her and she holds it up and Barbara just sees rags. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, she's like, what happened? This is not what it was yesterday. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? Everything's great. Our hosts are generous. You know, what's the what's the problem?
1: And, and Creepy McNopants Pants comes in and gives her a look. He like, right. what's on. He's got like this evil look on his face.
2: Well, he's like, oh, let's take you to the doctors to see what's wrong. And she's like, no. So she realizes that others aren't going to believe her and she knows that Altos knows what's up. And so she just runs out of there.
1: Can't blame it. And then Ian's and then Altos is like, no, nah, cool. It's okay, man. We're gonna take care of her. And Ian's like, sure, okay, fine. Yep. I'm like, wow, you just backed off quick. Yep.
2: And so yeah, Barbara then hides in a room. Then you know she sees a door, she just goes in and she hides. And this is another case of like Altos really should have seen her because he like comes into the same room, looks around. She's standing behind a pillar. Yes. This is a little bit better than the one with Susan and the void. <laughs> I really, was gonna
1: mention that.
2: If he just walked maybe two steps in, there. There's no further in. Because there's like, you walk in the door and there's like steps leading down into the room. Mm-hmm. If he had walked like two steps further in, there's no way he could have missed her. And it's only somewhat believable because he stays almost right at the doorway. But it's like, all right, if you're looking for somebody who might have run in here, why wouldn't you look behind the very obvious place to hide behind? I mean, right? it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, so then he leaves because he doesn't see her. Then he goes into this other room and this is one of the places Nightmare. where... I think this story shines because there are four brains in jars, and they look nasty. Oh, they're like not just brains. Discussion. They have
1: like two eye stalks. Right,
2: yeah. The eyes are the only things left attached to Whoa. them with, like a body. And so the eyes are actually like stuck up against the edge of the glass uh-huh. with the stalks leading down from the eyes into the brain. And they sort of pull, I don't know if you noticed, but they sort of like pulsate a little bit. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, no. If anything could give me nightmares, it would be those things.
2: <laughs> and I got—I—I I found color pictures of those too.
1: I don't think I need to see those. That's
2: okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yeah, Carolyn Ford said that she was like, it's too bad this is in black and white because she's like, I saw them in color and they gave me nightmares. <laughs> At least I'm not
1: the only one.
2: Right. And the voice for them is really super creepy. They got a guy who did a lot of radio, basically, and did villain roles and stuff
1: he was perfect
2: yeah he, he did a really good job with that yeah so they they say like oh um she resisted what they did to her they called the mesmeron mm-hmm. and they're gonna punish sabitha who was the servant that was putting the discs on but they tell altos to go tell the others that barbara's fine because in four hours they're gonna give them another dose of the thing and then they'll completely be in their control so it won't matter after that right but barbara because she's already seen that it's a lie they won't work on her anymore so she's gotta be killed.
1: Also, where did these things come from on this planet? <laughs>
2: well, this is what happens when you get like really smart is you know, you just leave your body behind and become a brain in a jar.
0: Oh my God. <laughs>
2: Well, again, this is, all right. So there's sort of a joke in Doctor Who fandom about Terry Nation is like Terry Nation had one really good idea and he just like milked it for all it's worth. He's riffing on the Daleks already. Because the idea of the Daleks is they're supposed to be really smart and everything. They mutated, but now they have to be in this, in a container basically. But it's the same idea, just sort of twisted a little bit of these are really smart guys and it's because of their, not because of radiation, but because they're so smart. They outgrew their bodies and now are in jars and they've got to control other people to do their bidding but he's kind of he's, riffing on the same concept. It's
1: so weird that this is like the next location where he hit a key.
2: Right. Well, I'm going to oh, I'm going to guess that it didn't ha- that the brains hadn't taken over when Arbitan hit the key here.
1: So weird.
2: Like maybe the brains just took over in the last 20 years or something. You know, you who knows, you know. Because yeah, otherwise, yeah, that was really bad if he hit it there. <laughs> <laughs> With the brains in control. But then, yeah, they, they push Sabitha into the same room that Barbara's in. And you know, Barbara's trying to talk to her and all she's saying is like, basically, I made a mistake and I'm going to be punished.
1: But then Barbara sees the necklace that she's yeah. wearing.
2: And it's it's one of the keys that they're looking for.
1: And that's when we realize, this is Arbitan's daughter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ooh, so she is alive, which made me happy because I was like, aw, but then you remember, oh yeah, no, we already know her dad's dead. Again, more reasons to have left her dad's <laughs> death until a later episode.
2: I want to know how many people Arbatan sent exactly because if you think about it, it's like, it seems like all of them just went to look for the first key it's like didn't anyone have the other than altos who he and his friend had the idea of splitting up and going after different keys it's like why didn't anyone else think hey maybe i should go after number two or number three or something because everybody who goes for number one doesn't come back right? You know? <laughs> but yeah apparently they all go for this one they probably he probably like increased the city's population you know like oh yeah like we doubled the size of our city just by people arbitrage in here <laughs> But yeah, the a doctor and Ian go into their amazing laboratory, <laughs> and I love it. It's just like a plain white room with a table and a mug.
1: Yep, that's all it is.
2: And, so, you know, obviously this is them saving money, right, first of all, but it's just funny watching them, because we see it from the point of view of reality, rather than from their point of view of, like, the, you know, what the city is making them think.
1: I mean, maybe we should have spent so much money on a paper doll going down a well. <laughs>
2: and so they're just describing this wonderful laboratory the doctor holds up this mug and is like oh man with this i can fix the tardis and I'm just, <laughs> it's just so funny seeing them like just ooh and awe ah over this mug
1: i will say they were convincing about it though
2: right yes yes barbara's talking to sabitha some more and she's basically like do you remember arbitan and she's like oh yeah that sounds for me you know like sort of in still in a sort of trance-like way but she's basically like oh yeah and barbara's like was he your father and she's like yeah he was my father so we're sort of having a breakthrough there Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and then we cut back to the brain saying that basically the doctor and susan are getting their final treatments and they're deciding what they're going to do with them once you know they're you know they're under control Then Altos comes in to grab Sabitha because I guess they're going to kill her now. And he sees Barbara and attacks her. But then Sabitha hits him from behind and knocks him out. Yep. So Barbara tells Sabitha, look, I'll come back for you. But I got to get to my friends and hopefully I can convince them. And she sees Ian and she is just so happy. And she gives him this big hug.
1: And he's like, you're the one.
2: Right. Yeah. Like he has shows no recognition at all. And he just grabs her and marches her into the brain room.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All that work. (laughs) And she gets captured so easily because she trusts Ian that much. Mm -hmm. Also, I noticed that the brains kind of have a similar tone like the doctor. Their voices sound similar.
2: Okay. Yeah. I can see that, but, yeah, they explained to her that they just like their brains got so smart that they outgrew their bodies, but then they needed to control people so that they could be fed and to do what they want, you know, to carry out their will
1: i mean what will what what do brains even need or want?
2: apparently, they want a city of slaves, I don't know
1: <laughs> there is no logic behind this,
2: <laughs> and so, yeah, then they tell Ian to kill her and he's strangling her but then she breaks free and she just goes to town smashing it because there's all this equipment around the brains too which is I'm guessing is like their life support and the speaker for them to talk and she just smashes everything she can smash.
1: I was so proud of her.
2: And they start screaming and she shatters one of the jars and the other brain, like she's because she's hitting like the jars and so like the eye stocks flop off of the glass and it's just she goes full Sigourney Weaver. It was so <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So good. The brains <laughs> and Barbara um, saves the day. Yeah, Barbara saves the day in this one, Again. and so yeah, it's it's pretty good. And so yeah, and then Ian snaps out of it, and they hug. Then we cut back to uh, Susan bringing Sabitha and Altos to meet with the rest of them
1: because now the hypnosis is done. Because right? Now they're yes. Coming out yeah, of killing
2: it. the brains. Like everybody snapped out, but now like everybody's like sort of like rioting and burning the place to the ground, and they're like, "Yeah, we got to get out of here soon."
1: Also. Alto still didn't put on pants.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> he could have found some pants.
2: Apparently the lack of pants was not a hypnosis thing and that's just who he is.
1: He's just, you know, he likes to be free, I guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, more power to him. I mean, I mean, if you don't feel any, you know, need to put on pants, I guess, you know. He yeah.
1: didn't rock that speedo.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this is when they find out that Altos was also one of the people that was sent by Arbitan. hmm uh-huh. And I think it's funny, the director says that he cast Altos because it, cause he, he sort of thought of Altos and Sabitha as like a prince and a princess. And so the, the cast people who he thought looked like a prince and a princess. And I can sort of see what he's going for with Sabitha, and I'm looking at Altos, and I'm like, he looks like a prince to you, really? <laughs>
1: uh, maybe if you squint
2: yeah, I don't know I mean clothes do make the man right so maybe if he was wearing better clothes I'd maybe he was just there. wearing pants yeah, just... <laughs> I'm not
1: gonna I'm not gonna let go of that I'm it's sorry right. I can't
2: Yeah, especially when you're going to be traveling to wherever you don't know where and whatever dangerous stuff. Do you really want your legs out like that? Do you really? Why not? (sighs) So the doctors found the travel dials. He hands them back out to everybody and Altos mentions that he had this friend and that they split up and his friend went to look for the fourth key and he has no idea what happened to him. And so the doctor's like, all right, well we're going to do the same thing and I'll skip ahead to try to find your friend while everybody else goes to the second one and really what's happening is because they filmed fifty-two episodes in a row, they decided that everybody needed a hall, you know, a vacation.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And so the doctor gets two weeks of vacation. Oh my God. Hartnell- this is William Hartnell's two weeks of vacation. Okay. <laughs> right. So it wasn't
1: just let's split the party for the heck of it. Uh,
2: no, but it just I mean, it feels like that, but there was a practical reason for it, is like they had to work in his vacation. So it's kind of weird that we're watching Doctor Who, but the doctor isn't in two episodes, but you know, yeah. whatever. But yes, you will see over the course of the season that everybody gets their two weeks (laughs) so we have to come up with a reason why you know people are gone for you know a while actually altos wasn't going to be in the rest of the story Uh, i think the whole thing of him being one of arbitan's people was like something they made up just so that he could take the doctor's role in the next two jumps Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, it feels wrong that, Sue like, yeah, I can totally see the doctor having this plan, but the part that feels wrong is that he doesn't take Susan with him.
1: That does feel a little weird.
2: Yeah, because in any other story, he'd be like, okay, Susan and I will go forward, you know, to the fourth key, and everybody else, you know, go to the the second key. But, yeah, he leaves Susan with them and he goes by himself. Oh, yeah, and the other thing I wrote down was, like, it also seems weird that he didn't take Altos with him because Altos would be the one who would recognize Yprin.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's kind of (laughs) like... So you You're going by yourself, and you're leaving your granddaughter, who you're usually super protective of, and you're leaving the guy who could point out the other guy you're looking for. I
1: will point out, we've seen the doctor go off on his own plenty of times, though. He's just supremely arrogant.
2: That's true. He is. He is. (laughs) So, and this time, Susan jumps before everybody else.
1: And we get some fantastic freaky noise.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We got the screaming of the jungle. (laughs) But it's, yeah, this sort of like screeching almost sound. And she covers her ears and she's like, stop it, go away. And that's the uh, cliffhanger. Mm
0: Mm-hmm
2: so since this, this one is sort of divided up into a bunch of mini stories what do you think about the, the hypno brains?
1: that was definitely terrifying
2: yeah
1: other than the no pants thing I thought it was a f- kind <laughs> of a cool episode
2: <laughs> yeah and this is one where again I feel like the the, the set design like worked really well because like even okay yeah they're definitely being minimalist like in the brain room or whatever it's all black so you don't see like any features other than like their little like table where their life support stuff is and then like the counter where they're all sitting
1: and but you don't, you don't- even see their eyes is full on from the front, and yeah, you see the backs of the eye stalks, so you don't even get the full nightmare until we come around.
2: Well, and but the thing is, I think even for like the like the sort of design of the city, like I think that that works though to have them in this sort of featureless black room because it's it's a creepy place already, and you've surrounded them with black basically, and that right? just makes it even more kind of creepy. Like you've sort of stepped into like this other space or whatever.
1: Like I said, other than the no pants, I actually dug this one. Yeah, again, other than that and the. <laughs> fact that this is a really weird city on this planet
2: right so yeah episode three is the screaming jungle so
1: now we have something out of the hunger games with this title
2: right <laughs> that's true i hadn't thought about that
1: oh yeah this sound is totally reminded me of the jabber jays from mm. catching fire
2: yeah but yeah, so everybody else shows up, and then of course the sound stops, and so everybody thinks Susan's just making stuff up again.
1: Right. Um, of course, that's
2: all she does. I know. It says so, it's that. Like the number of times Susan has been right about something, and everybody always is just like, yeah, whatever, Susan. <laughs>
1: they just dismiss Susan and Barbara all the time
2: but yeah like the plants are like out of control here like they come here like there's buildings and stuff they see a wall and everything it's all just like completely overgrown so Ian Altos and Sabitha are trying to look around to see if they can find a way into the walled area you know then we get Barbara basically being like hey I'm the badass here I wish Ian wouldn't treat me like I'm Dresden China
1: she actually (laughs) says that Uh, she doesn't
2: say she's a badass (laughs) but she says like I wish Ian wouldn't treat us like Dresden China but the subtext is i'm the badass that saved you guys a bunch of (laughs) times but susan's like oh i like it that he's so protective of us
1: Barbara's a doer she's not just gonna sit there
2: right but yeah so they're talking and Susan's like laying on the ground you know sort of like you know um face down sort of with just her head up
1: and then we have a scene out of the evil dead
2: right? so yeah and so then like this vine just sort of creeps around her leg and starts like twining itself and then she notices that and she just freaks out again
1: yeah I mean she's hysterical but she's right right The vine did move and grab her leg.
2: Right, like Barbara tries to be like, hey, maybe it fell on you. And she's like, it wrapped itself around my leg. Like, if a vine falls on you, it doesn't, like, twine itself around. But yeah, I think Barbara knows something seems a little weird, but she's just trying to, like, console Susan. Mm -hmm. But gaslighting someone doesn't actually make them feel better.
1: (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) (laughs)
2: telling someone that they're just imagining things is not going to help them feel better. But then Barbara's looking around again, and she sees that through, like, one of the places that they thought was too overgrown. Like, she could probably push her way through. And there's this big statue that reminds me of sort of like a Hindu idol or something.
1: Yes, and it even has arms that you can tell are somebody, some person is in that (laughs) statue, and they've stuck (laughs) their arms out through it.
2: (laughs) No, no, it's totally part of the statue, Julia. (laughs) So, so
1: <laughs> hands are moving even though they're trying to pretend to be still. Yeah, well,
2: I thought it almost worked. Like, he did a really good job. Like, the actor who's behind the statue does a really good job of moving the arms. It's only when he gets to the point where, like, the arms are supposed to be, like, holding the person that he spreads his fingers. Yeah. And that's when it totally, like, breaks the illusion that this could be part of the statue is because his hands then move too organically. But until that point, he did a good job holding everything perfectly still and just sort of, like, you know, moving the arms as if they were on, like, a pivot or something. Yeah. Because they couldn't afford actual mechanical arms, go figure, they did have to have an actor stand behind the statue and just put his arms through.
1: And there's what looks like one of the keys hanging at the top of the statue.
2: Right. So, yeah, Barbara goes in there and she's like, hey, I found the key already. This is great. And so she climbs up there. And (laughs) the funny behind... The gets fresh with her? Yeah, well, the funny behind-the-scenes story is when you see it, she climbs all the way almost to the top of the statue. So when it grabs her, it's, like, grabbing, like, her calves you know mm-hmm. almost apparently when they did rehearsals she didn't go so high up and it grabbed her rear oh my <laughs> and she was like no i am going to climb all the way up this thing for the <laughs> cuz
1: well, i mean you can't yeah. blame the person who's in the stairs. right he
2: can't see he's just grabbing around to whatever's there so she was at a height where he grabbed her ear. so but the problem is when you look at it it's like why doesn't she just sort of like stand on the hands and get you know yeah, but that's and get over reasons. But, yeah but yeah but then like it spins so it, it grabs her when she grabs the key and spins around so that the wall is now facing outwards and it's facing the other way so they don't see where she is now and but, but she dropped the key this-
1: this place loves
2: its spinning things huh? right <laughs> but she she dropped the key as she was spinning around so that's on the side with everybody else then Ian and everybody comes back and Ian's like you know freaking out again because you know Barbara could be in danger he finds the key on the ground but then Sabitha's kind of like hey you know maybe this isn't so bad because you know obviously she still got her dial so once she was trapped she would have just turned it and she's going to be at the next place so let's just go there but Ian's logical. like hey right which is logical but Ian's like hey we don't know because she could have been knocked unconscious or whatever we don't know what's on the other side of this thing so he wants to stay so he's like okay let's split up again because that works so well and so he sends everybody else he says like everybody else go on ahead to look for her there i'll try to get back to where Barbara... Oh, because by this point, the idol spun around again, and yes. it looks like it was originally, but Barbara's not there. So he's like, so I'll try to see where she is, and if I don't find her, I'll join you guys. Then Susan and Altus go off, but as Sabitha's grabbing the key from Ian, she notices, wait a minute, these aren't identical.
0: Yeah, and, and the keys. Are, to
2: be. Yeah, the keys are supposed to be identical. She's like, this one's just like a hair shorter. And so then they realize, oh, that was a tra- that's a trick. Like, that's not the real key, so I still gotta find that too. So Sabitha goes to join and the others. Ian goes to look for Barbara, he makes the statue thing move, and he's like in this sort of like garden looking place with some buildings off from it. He immediately steps on like a tile, because it's like stone tile, you know, like sort of walkways. Mm-hmm. And he steps on a tile and this sort of statue that was there like instantly like raises an axe and tries to kill him.
0: Yep, yeah, because yeah.
2: why not? It was one of those kinds of places, you know, it's full of traps everywhere. But Barbara yells out, so he sees where Barbara is, they get together, and Ian tells her that the key was a fake, so they're gonna need to keep looking she tells him that's not the only trap there are other traps here there's a door to this building but they can't get in so Ian's like i'm gonna try to find something to use as a crowbar but then the door opens mysteriously and barbara decides oh because she does try calling to ian and he's just like i'll be there in a minute
1: he's messing with a pipe that's stuck on the ground
2: that's gonna work really well as a crowbar
1: but i do want to point out and i'm almost positive i'm right the door she walks through we have suddenly just reused the set from morpheus place it could be because it's the same doorway it's that same tiny set of curved stairs into the larger room Mm. area and you only see it for a second but it's that set of stairs and the way that they're angled that makes me think that they just reused that set
2: that's very pot probable (laughs) I'm sure to save money, they reused anything they could. But yeah, so then Barbara decides, yeah, instead of, like, actually getting, like, a clear message across to Ian, I'm just gonna go in. Well,
1: he's busy being like, I wanna look at this longer.
2: Yeah. Then, they like, a net falls on her, and like, the pokiest-looking ceiling of spikes drops down on her. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> like, slowly. They actually wiggle. Right, yeah. It's like, this does not look dangerous. This is the episode where I think the design does not look good. Because so much of this looks poorly made. The plan they're trying their hardest when they make the plants move but it's uh-huh. clearly like a string <laughs> attached to these plants and they're trying to like have the plants attack so in this episode I don't think really looks all that great but yeah so these spikes come down and then like Ian he hears her call out but then like jail bars sort of like fall down where he is so he's trapped in that area
1: and then we see the hermit dude that we'd seen earlier right. save her.
2: right yeah because there was a guy that was watching them when they came in he's like asking Barbara like you know as the ceiling is coming down on her he's like asking you're like who you know how who are you why are you here she's like Arbitan sent us he's like how do you prove that and so she gives him the dial and he says okay I'll check this out because only Arbitan would know how to like make one of these and set it mm-hmm. so he takes the the ceiling back up so that she won't die while he's checking Ian by this point has found like a pickaxe And he uses it to, like, lever, like, the bars open so that he can get through. And he runs in and he hears the the guy, like, choking or something. And he runs into the next room. And, like, one of the vines is wrapped across the guy's neck. And he's getting strangled. So Ian helps him out. He pulls the vine out. But the guy's not doing well and he, like, falls asleep.
1: Yep. And... So quickly, hermit dude gone.
2: Yeah. Well, he doesn't die quite yet. He does wake up very briefly. To give a code. Right. Yeah. So he wakes up and he says that he saw them. And that, so he set the traps in motion. And he said, like, because only somebody warned by Arbitan would be able to avoid them. And it's like, wait a minute. Arbitan sent them. Why didn't he tell them? Like, oh, by the way, if you get to the second place, there's these traps. Here's where they are. You know, like, avoid them. Like, Arbitan was just like, yeah, everybody dies anyway that I send on this quest so I'm not even gonna bother right <laughs> then he starts doing like his sort of like dying acting and Ian's like quickly you gotta tell us where the key is and he says he says de 30 and Ian asks him what's in what he means and he's like quickly the darkness the whispering will start and then he dies yep so they look so-
1: around and they see a safe
2: right so they're like okay maybe he's talking about the safe and there are letters on the safe so he's like okay maybe the numbers are like the number of turns so they tried DE302 I want
1: to point out that Ian only turns that dial one way and I want to know what safes Ian has ever opened in right. his life with a combination lock because you twist it both ways
2: right well I mean that I, th- I thought that I also thought how do you know this planet isn't backwards too where instead of turning like you get what I'm saying like clockwise counterclockwise mm. you know like normally you'd turn it one way then the other way but how do you know this planet is not turn it the other way then the you know you get what I'm saying like he should oh, yeah. have tried it a bunch more times in different ways to make sure that it wasn't that uh, but yeah the safe's not opening so like okay this isn't you know this probably isn't it and so they're just like searching through the room they find a book where they find out he's, this guy was a biologist he was using a growth accelerator to increase the tempo of destruction in nature. Why you want to increase the tempo of destruction in nature I don't know but apparently that's what he was working on.
1: <laughs> and I think Barbara keeps trying to say that it must be a code that they- there must be something there. And Ian actually says, I don't think it means anything. And I'm like, really? Are you going to dismiss her again?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, the guy said it for a reason, guys. But yeah, then they start hearing that screeching sound again and the plants are trying to like break in Like you can see like the windows have been like nailed shut with shut, you know, like he's nailed boards over the window, but like the vines start like breaking through the boards and they're seeing like basically the jungle is overgrowing this place Boy, they got fast.
1: Just in time for that key. If now is when the jungle right. wants to
2: take over right yeah yeah if they had just arrived a day later like they wouldn't have been able to find the key because you know it would have all been overgrown but yeah so they um, as part of this as part of fighting off the plants and everything they knock over a jar that has i don't know sodium something on it and there they see that chemical formula and they're like oh it's a chemical formula so they look for a jar that's labeled de 302 mm-hmm. they find it they pour it out the keys in there they grab it i like this transition because instead of them like standing in front of something and then winking them out, the background winks. Yes. And I thought that looked really cool because suddenly they, they turn the dials and they go from being in that room to being in like this sort of snowy landscape and they start shivering.
1: Yep, and no one else is around, of course.
2: Right. I will point out DE302 is meaningless even as a chemical formula.
1: I did not recognize that at all.
2: So. <laughs> right. I figured
1: it was just spe- special to this planet.
2: Right. Yeah, there, there is no element DE. It sounds like it would be, but it's not. So yeah, what do you think of our sort of escape room of adventure?
1: Eh, I didn't like this one as much. I mean, I did appreciate Barbara wearing stirrup pants because I used to wear those when I was younger mm. myself. I was like, yeah, Barbara, I see you wearing the stirrup <laughs> pants. But um, once again, you know, Barbara takes the initiative and then she's pretty sure she, she said this has got to mean something. And Ian's like, of course, it doesn't mean anything. Oh, my gosh. Ian, will you please stop dismissing this woman? She saved your life. How many mm. times? She saved your life just like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. So I don't know. This, this episode, I didn't like it quite as much as I liked the last one.
2: Mm. okay fair enough yeah no I I, yeah I think this one is definitely a weaker one Uh, like I said it doesn't look as good also and yeah like the whole it feels like the clue or whatever should have been better so that as the audience you have a better idea of sort of like solving it or something like instead you're just basically with them as they sort of bumble around until they sort of stumble on it too so I don't find that very satisfying as a viewer But yeah, episode four is The Snows of Terror.
1: What the hell is up with this planet? Everywhere they go is a death trap.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's supposed to be the keys are all hidden in dangerous places so that anyone looking for them would, you know, have a a hard time getting them.
1: I mean, what what was it? We've got the Velvet Web, (laughs) the Screaming Jungle, Mm -hmm. the Snows of Terror. I'm afraid to know what's going to happen next.
2: Right. (laughs) Right. I do like the, like, sort of, like, ethereal singing they have for the this episode. You know, kind of give, like, that sort of snowy, like, sort of feel to it. That's sort of...
1: Aww. That was kind of cool. But, man, Barbara just, like, decides she... That's hypothermia immediately. She is passing out and going right to sleep.
2: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Ian's wearing, like, something silk from China, and he's fine. And Barbara wearing a sweater is just like... Ugh. <laughs>
1: I'm too tired. I can't go on. It's too cold.
2: (laughs) But yeah, after they both sort of collapse from the cold, Barbara does open her eyes for a second. She sees this big guy wearing furs like standing over her. And then we cut to them in this sort of like hut and there's a fire and there's this, the, the big burly guys there. And he's, you know, like rubbing Barbara's hands to get the circulation back. And yeah. He's maybe a little too touchy. He's very he, creepy. Yeah. Maybe invading her bubble a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> all right. But then like what he chooses to be like is like, are you afraid of me? <laughs> and she's that like not uh, his case at all. Right. Uh, no. And he's like, I broke the back of a wolf with my bare hands last year. <laughs> it's like, okay, nice conversation. And he's like, my name is Vassor and most people fear me so I don't get many visitors.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but then he's like sort of acts kind of nice and he's like you gotta do the same thing for your friend cause Ian's in there too you gotta get the circulation back so he goes off Barbara wakes Ian up and she does the thing she's rubbing his hands he tells them that you know he, he would only have been able to save one of them if you didn't have somebody with him and basically from what he's describing they realize that it was Altos that helped him and he was like yeah that guy he was saying there were two other people he was gonna go out and look for him and Ian's like oh then I need to go too cause yeah we need to find Susan and Sabitha but uh, he's like so can I borrow some of your furs? And the guy's like, no, this is my livelihood. So Mm -hmm. Ian decides to trade him his travel dial.
1: Oh my gosh, Ian.
2: For some fur. So the guy gives him some fur, some, uh, a lantern, and he gives him a pack. I, he never says what the pack is. I'm guessing it's supposed to be like, hey, here's some food for the trip or whatever. But like, Ian doesn't ask what's in the pack or anything. It's just like, here, have this. <laughs> Ian yeah, just he takes just takes it. it. Yep.
1: And he's like, he, talking about the others, he's like, wolves would have eaten them first. You are such a cheerful dude.
2: Yep. <laughs> and then once Ian leaves, what does he do? He throws his deadbolt.
1: And then I sw- I'm like, I can't figure out if he's planning to eat Barbara or breed with her.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, he turns, he's like, well, we're alone. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I cannot
1: yeah. believe Ian left her alone with him.
2: Yeah, because the thing he says is, we must fatten you up.
1: Yeah. Which Mm-mm. sounds
2: cannibally, but I don't know. That's not the vibe I'm getting from it.
1: It could be both. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's planning <laughs> to breed with her and then eat her. <laughs> It's so wrong.
2: That is wrong. Yeah, so when Ian goes out, and this is the thing that I think is just so dumb. It's like, it's not even that far. He can still see the hut from where he is. He finds Altos on the ground tied up.
1: With no pants. Well, <laughs> Altos has no pants and apparently not suffering completely from frostbite.
2: Right. Like he's gotten some furs from this guy too, but he's not wearing, he's still not wearing anything on his legs. Nope. Yeah. So I'm like, why did the guy even let Ian go if he knew he would come to Altos within like minutes? It doesn't make any sense. But anyway.
1: He's not the brightest bulb in the bunch.
2: No, definitely not.
1: And then I'm like, Barbara, you need to find a weapon because this guy is definitely creeping on you.
2: Right, because she's hearing the wolf howls and she looks nervous and he's like, oh, don't worry, that door will keep anything out or in.
1: (laughs) Like leaves the room for a second, and good on her. She starts searching.
2: Right. So yeah, she finds that he has the micro keys from Sabitha, and he's got more travel dials. And then he sees that she's looking through stuff, and he gets mad. And she asks where he got all that stuff, and he's like, "Oh well, you know, I found these girls in a cave, and so I gave them some food and flint in return for the dials and the keys." And Barbara,
1: they wouldn't have given up.
2: Right. And Barbara's like, "Yeah, there's no way. Like Sabitha might have given her dial, but not the." Keys. right but yeah my question is okay clearly he wants barbara for some reason i'm kind of confused why he didn't had bring susan and sabitha back to his hut because as of as as
1: neither of them apparently have birthing hips or something i no. don't know <laughs> he looks at barbara and he's like yeah, babe.
2: yeah. <laughs> but yeah then he's excited when barbara's like there's no way she would have parted with these because he's like oh so they're valuable very nice and he says like you don't kill people in this country you'll let the cold and the wolves do that for you
1: and then we f- hear the wolves, and then we f- cut back over to Ian and Altos and find out what that bag was really stuffed full of. Yeah,
2: it was stuffed full of raw meat to attract the wolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the part that I have I can't help avoiding in this scene is Ian rubbing Altos's thighs to get his circulation. <laughs> oh,
1: my God, yeah. that There's... <laughs> There's so much that could be read into that, and I know that's not what they were intending. But so he have been wearing pants,
2: right? Well, my thing is, if you're still out in the sub-zero temperatures, oh, does re-work. it really help? Yeah, does it really a, help to massage the legs?
1: Like you, you learn that if somebody is in, is has frostbite or something, and you get them into a warm place, you don't want to like re-warm the limb right then if there is a chance of it freezing again, because that's when necrosis mm. sets in.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And I'm like, why are you doing that, Ian? You aren't positive that it's not going to freeze again before you can get help?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Things I learned in my Red Cross first aid training.
2: Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I was like, that doesn't seem to make sense. Because, yeah, I would think that uh, you'd want to get in somewhere warm and then get the circulation flowing Yes. Again. But then, yeah, that's when Ian finds out it was the trapper, you know, Vassar, who did that to Altos. And so then Ian, of course, instantly thinks, oh no, Barbara's in danger. And so he throws the pack of meat away so the wolves will go towards that instead. And they run back to the hut. And Vassar is like chasing Barbara now around the room and she's trying to (laughs) fight him off with everything she can find.
1: And she does a good job.
2: Yeah. But then he finally gets her on the ground. He looks like he's about to jump on her like she's a swimming pool or something. (laughs) He's gonna like dive down on her, but then like Ian's bashing on the door. So he like stops like, it's almost like a cartoon character, like almost like mid jump. Yep. He like stops and looks towards the door and then Barbara's trying to run towards the door to throw open the lock and he's wrestling with Barbara, but then she bites him.
0: Mm-hmm. Good, <laughs> Good on you, her.
2: Barbara. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then she gets, lets uh, Ian in. But then, yeah, they're like, Altos is like ready to kill him. And Ian's like, no, no, no. We need him to show us where Susan and Sabitha are. Mm-hmm. And then we cut over to them and they're in a cave that is, is clearly just made out of ice. Right, like, like oh, yeah, the no, the totally. walls and everything are ice, and they have a fire on the floor. And I'm like, how did you make a fire on a floor of ice?
1: <laughs> yeah, the things you don't think through. <laughs> right?
2: But the fire died down now, and they don't have anything else to burn. And
1: if they had managed to put something, I, I will give them this: if you could put a hide, and like they they might have gotten some hides from said trapper, oh, the hide underneath and build your fire on top of the hide, it would work.
2: Okay. Well, fair enough. Yep, yep, that does make sense. Yeah, so they're like, um, well, we're gonna die here if we don't find something. So they decide to wander around the caves to see if they can find, uh, you know, something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Of course, everything seems fairly brightly lit despite them being in a cave. And I did kind of wonder about that, but... It's oh, the
1: ice. It's everything, reflect- the light that they have reflecting off the ice from the fire. Yeah,
2: what light do they have, though? They
1: have a fire.
2: Well, but the of. fire died.
1: Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> it's just a light from their hearts.
2: Oh, <laughs> All right. But yeah, as Ian's marching Vassor up to the mountain, like Vassor is getting agitated and he's like, Once we get there, can I leave? And Ian's like, I'm not making oh. any promises. And
1: they point out that they've not only force marched him up there, but Altos still does not have <laughs> It's
2: like, Man, you've already been dying of hypothermia. You're not gonna get some fur pants? Really?
1: Not even just a pair of cloth ones at this point. Nope. Yeah. He's committed to it. <laughs>
2: i'm telling you it's who he is it's not a choice <laughs> this is who he is susan and sabitha quickly realize they're lost <laughs> they're just wandering around but then ian and the rest of them like come up on like the dead fire where you know they had been so they're like okay we're going the right way we gotta go further in and that's when is like hey there are demons in this mountain i i really don't want to go any further and Ian's like this is tough <laughs> they keep going yep yeah And so then Susan and Sabitha find this uh, rickety rope bridge that spans a chasm that's maybe, like, three feet across.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I could jump that distance. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh, I can't jump that.
2: (laughs) I'm like, okay, maybe since the floor is icy, you don't want to try, like, doing, like, a running jump because, you know, you might slip or whatever. So maybe there's a rebut. But but later on, when everybody's panicking about this thing, that's when I'm like, okay, you're not really, you're not going to try jumping, you know? (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, uh. but yeah so they cross the rope bridge then Barbara and Ian and then make it to the rope bridge they go across so there's like you know a nice reunion as they all like you know and Ian who was trying to get Vassar to cross when he sees Susan and Sabitha, he's like oh yeah he crosses the bridge and then Vassar is like ha ha and he pulls out the end of the rope bridge and drops it so
1: yeah again uh, why why it's not that far
2: yeah Yeah, this is where they panic because it's like, oh, no, like they even say there's even a line. It's too far to jump. And I'm like, no, even I'm not super athletic. I could do that.
1: Yeah, that's a, that was from Ian right there. I wrote that down.
2: <laughs> yeah. Again, I can see why the bridge was there originally, maybe, because the floor is icy. But yeah, definitely when your life is on the line and it's the only way out, I'd risk it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, then they go into a cave that's right there. And that's when they find the key. And it is in this big block of ice with pipes running around it.
1: Surrounded by a bunch of dudes in armor.
2: Right. There are four armored guys standing on each side. But they're also, they're like like statues,
1: basically. I got a very Indiana Jones vibe from this. (laughs) Yes,
2: so did I.
1: <laughs> okay, so it's not just me <laughs> and I was thinking about the Holy Grail.
2: Right. Yes. Exactly. That's what I was thinking with this. And so then they realize that oh, these guys, these are probably like the demons that people are talking about. They see these things, they get scared, whatever. But then they see that there's like a sort of valve on the pipes where they're coming uh, out of the floor, mm-hmm. and so they turn the valve. They realize the pipes are heating up, and they're like, oh, there's like a hot springs or something. Okay. And so that's how you get at the key. You just wait for the ice to melt. And oh, and key. at some
1: point, I think the Altos mentions about it being cold on the hands, and I was like says the man with no pants
2: right
1: i don't let it go i have six episodes of this
2: (laughs) so uh they're like okay we gotta find a way to like do something to cross the the chasm so they find like these big ice stalactites that they just sort of like start tying ropes around to sort of create something that they can push across the the chasm and then just Uh, crawl over it's so awful i know (laughs) And then they check on the key and like it, it melted really fast because that big chunk of ice. I mean, because that chunk of ice was like two foot cubed. Yeah, I mean, it these, was it was big. It was,
1: these warriors also look like they've right. melted too. Right.
2: Yeah. They're like slumped over now. Um, yeah. You know, Sabitha goes to pick up the key and Susan's like talking about the the ice, the the guard. And suddenly he opens his eyes and looks at her and it's like, oh, no. <laughs>
1: Wait, she touched it
2: oh that's right I,
1: I have in all caps why right. did you have to touch it susan right
2: <laughs> well i have a problem with this whole setup because if these were supposed to be like the guardians of the key shouldn't they like fall before the key does
1: i would have thought so and then like i think it's sabitha it could be susan tries to run away and trips over absolutely nothing on that floor
2: right so yeah they try to get away ian's like i'll hold them back and so he's just, like, grabbing, like, sticks off the ground and stuff and trying to... And these guys each have, like, a different weapon. Like, one's got a sword, one's got a mace. Like, it's each, like, a different weapon. And there are four of them, they're attacking, and Ian's, like, trying to hold them back. Right. And so this is where it gets really weird, because the rest of them get out of the cave. And suddenly you have this scene where everybody else is turned around with their backs to Susan. You know, looking into the cave, apparently watching Ian like hold off these guys, but holding perfectly still, just looking into the cave, and Susan's like, huh. And so she goes over, she grabs the rope from the bridge, you know, the end of the bridge that's still, like, intact, grabs that, ties it around herself, and starts crawling over the thing because she's going to, like, reattach the bridge once she gets to the other side. And it's like, okay, this is good on Susan. Susan's showing some proactive, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to take care of this, you know, everything. But it's just like, why is nobody watching? Why is nobody doing anything? They're all just, like, completely, like, not paying any attention. (laughs) just focusing on looking in the cave
1: well here's the other weird thing i was wondering at the time and then when i found out why they didn't it really upset me i'm like they've got the key why don't they all jump to the next location because wouldn't that make sense it gets them away from the warriors and everything else
2: but apparently they didn't take their dials from the trapper
1: i don't know why Why?
2: (laughs) that would have been the smart thing to do So, yeah, so she gets to the other side. Now, the part that they don't show, because she does crawl over, and and the things she's crawling over do start cracking and falling away, so there's, like, some danger, tension, whatever. Is She gets to the other side, and they cut to, like, the bridge just, like, being, like, fully, like, back in. But I'm like, she had to nail the ends of the, you know, because the ropes are attached, like, pins that pin into the wall. Mm -hmm. How did she nail those in (laughs) (laughs) so that the the, the bridge would hold? They don't show that.
1: You know, logic. Right out the
2: window. Maybe Susan is just, like, so ridiculously strong that she just used her fists and just pounded <laughs> them in.
1: <laughs> there are things we don't know about Susan. That's
2: right. <laughs> but, yeah, so then they all run across the bridge, and Ian pulls the bridge down again when because he, he's the last one across, And but one of the guards, like, was on the bridge as he did it, and he just falls down. And then the Thanks. other three, like, run out, and they're just, like, looking around like, what? <laughs> yeah so then we go back they run to the huts
0: because they
1: left their stuff with right him. they
2: grab their stuff and the trapper is like oh no you're not leaving me to fight that because somehow the the guards get a found way across and yeah, they're coming natural right and so he grabs susan he's like you're not you know going you're gonna help me fight these things and then like his back is to the door and then one of you know they're using their weapons to try to bash through the door one oh, of them gets his sword happen. wedged in through the boards of the door and stabs him from behind so he lets Susan go they teleport away and the guards rush into the hut looking around and again are confused and
1: okay then it looks like we're in a museum yep and there's a dude on the floor and Ian looks down and he's like oh why is this dude here and then he looks up and he sees something in the case he starts to get up to go check out this case I'm surprised this blow was at least five inches from Ian's head
2: (laughs) Yeah, the director says, like, oh, that looks so bad. <laughs>
1: yeah, Ian, it didn't come close to Ian's head, but Ian sells it for all he's worth. <laughs> right. It's the floor. Right. And then all we see are, like, these legs and gloved hands. I think they were gloved hands. Mm-hmm. Gloved they, hand. They put a mace, well, I mean, this is what I'm assuming they pretended to hit Ian with, not in the hand that was already, his. you know, his face was turned to, the mace was already sitting right there, you could have just moved it two inches to his hand. Mm. Instead drag his other hand out from underneath his body and put the weapon in it Like that just made no sense because it's not like you know that Ian's right handed.
2: Well, I guess because didn't he touch the other guy's like neck feeling for a pulse when he went down?
1: Who would have cared?
2: Well, I guess well, once we find out who the other guy is, maybe because he he knew something about like forensics or whatever, he was like, I better put it in his dominant hand so that it looks more convincing.
1: But our evil our evil unknown guest then goes to the case that Ian had looked at, opens it up because it's got the key in it. Uh Uh-huh. Alarms start going off. takes the key and there we go
2: Yep. yeah so this is another thing that makes you feel like indiana jones because it belongs in a museum
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it
2: so fashion talk what did you think about the guard costumes
1: they felt very uh nazi germany to me
2: <laughs> <Is that laughs> oh no i mean the guard I mean, i'm sorry i mean the ice guards from the oh pre- the
1: first. ice guards yeah kind of cheesy but again they just they felt very i don't know medieval templar almost
2: maybe? yeah they look sort of medieval templar but the capes were like made of like plastic or something they didn't that's move like bad. cloth at all <laughs> that's
1: pretty bad at least they wore pants mm.
2: and what do you think about how the how the mountain set looked
1: i thought the mountain set looked okay other than okay. a little bit of weirdness but i thought it, the snow looked pretty fake <laughs>
2: yeah well yeah I <laughs>
1: but otherwise it wasn't bad I mean this one wasn't a terrible episode I, I yeah. kind of think it maybe was a little bit better than the screaming jungle if only because Mr. Trapper John had meat, and I hate to say that because of course I love MASH but he <laughs> was terrifying to me because I really didn't yeah. know if he was going to eat Barbara or you know have babies with her
2: well yeah and I mean when you think about the fact that like this is the 60s and this is supposed to be like a kid show you know the whole like sort of I mean I guess if it's cannibalism or rape either one this is like really like (laughs) seems like really kind of messed up yeah some people like have really difficult time with this because of the implications of that guy yeah so the snow that you're saying is unconvincing that's because it's ground-up styrofoam
1: okay that makes sense
2: that doesn't look a lot like snow (laughs) so yeah that's the end of this one and now we're on to episode five sentence of death
1: oh my gosh more with the names At this Um, point, I immediately know this is going to involve Ian being framed for murder and, you know, getting the death sentence. Right. Just from this title. Yeah,
2: we talked about already how Terry Nation's probably influenced by Greek mythology. I think he's also, like, a guy who as a kid was watching a lot of, like, the movie serials. Because a lot of this seems like, your sentence of death, snows of terror. This is like the titles of, like, the individual segments of, like, one of those movie serials. Yeah. You know. And this week's exciting adventure, Doctor (laughs) Who, you know. (laughs) (laughs) our intrepid adventurers go to the city millennials
1: the crazy ass cities they've got on this planet yeah so different so weird it's like we are on completely different planets
2: yeah but when you think about if you teleported from here to Papua New Guinea or somewhere like that I'm pretty
1: sure the jungle's not gonna eat me
2: well okay (laughs) something might eat you though
1: (laughs) <laughs> yes, and in which case Mr. Trapper might be right, but I'm also not going to be, you know, attacked by obviously very mysterious and supernatural guards that were inert and now
2: awake. I just assume they were like cryogenically frozen and just Terry Nation didn't understand how cryogenics <laughs> works. <laughs> It's like these are like the four guards for this key, so we'll just like preserve them here until it warms up, and then they'll fall oh out and they'll be fine. Yeah. So Ian, he's you know he wakes up, his his head hurts. There's a guy in the room, he's asking him questions. Long story short, I mean, there's a whole back and forth. Like it's clear this guy suspects Ian of doing the killing. Ian's like that doesn't even make any sense because I was unconscious. So I mean, like what? Like at, you know, he was dead. How did he then knock me unconscious?
1: Right. That was one of my questions. Who do they think knocked out Ian? They're like you had an accomplice.
2: Yeah and then he's talking about how like you know you're gonna have to produce this you know this guy to defend you and Ian's like i don't have to do anything i'm innocent until proven guilty and he's like pfft where are you from right. <laughs> you know, you're guilty until proven innocent
1: obviously ian did not see the title of this episode
2: right exactly <laughs> so yes we're in one of those you know fun sci-fi situations where we just turn a common thing upside down yeah. There's a next generation episode like this too oh yeah so yeah yeah because they find out a few more details like you know the guard uh, should only have let somebody in if they had had like some sort of that they had been searched with a certain way and ian hadn't been searched and ian's like no the door was already open like i didn't do do anything and he's like yeah it doesn't sound right and so some of that so here's my other question why didn't everyone else teleport like barbara and ian and sapitha and altos and sue they all teleported at the same time why did ian arrive like right outside this area of the museum and apparently they never show where everyone else arrived but it must have been somewhere different
1: Plot device.
2: Right. And we never get that explanation for where they arrived. But they're visiting Ian late, later, and Ian's basically like, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know. And But then the doctor just like strides in.
1: So has he been here this entire time?
2: <laughs> yeah, he's I been mean, in the city the whole time.
0: So ridiculous. So <laughs> and ridiculous.
2: oh, but here's the best part. Here's the like, the doctor suddenly, when he finds out that he's going to be like Ian's lawyer, just decides, I have found my calling in life. Mm mm-hmm and like he is enjoying this so much he is like oh yeah i have seen all like the court drama shows and i'm totally gonna milk this (laughs) it's like even when he ends like i need to find someone to defend me and the doctor's like i am that man (laughs) (laughs) oh so we go to the courtroom what do you think about the judges the
0: judges hats oh my god
1: God, i can't even i can't just (laughs) i couldn't stop staring but that's all i focused on didn't matter what they were saying it was just those hats man
2: <laughs> these hats i've been told that they look like uh, eastern or eastern orthodox whatever a high up in the eastern orthodox churches like what their hats are i don't know but it just they're they're epic
1: they are oh my those God. are
2: epic hats
1: oh. <laughs> oh and let me point out alto still has no pants
2: yes outfit you're in court man have some self-respect
1: i mean there's enough fabric in those hats that he could have had like three pairs of pants (laughs) That's, (laughs) that's true
0: that's true
2: so you know they're like okay Ian you're guilty of murder you have got to, to prove that you didn't do it but then the doctor says look we're from out of town we don't know anything about this place could you please just give me some time to examine witnesses read statements prepare the case and they're like you know what since there's like some real extenuating circumstances here we're going to allow you two days to like just review the case and do all
1: yeah, that so. they basically pronounced him guilty within 10 seconds of <laughs> right.
2: they're like execution will be in three days it's, it's like watching
1: like, oh, an episode it was called just from Next Generation where yeah. Wesley fell into the garden. <laughs>
2: Ha, ha. Oh, that wasn't even the one I was thinking of. I was thinking of the one where Riker's accused of murdering that scientist.
1: Oh, no, I was totally thinking about Justice with the Edo. Who uh, no, and,
2: like, I know. I know t- what you're no thinking pants, of now. Yeah, also no yeah. pants? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Because that was also a world where they were like, no, you're guilty until proven innocent. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's why I always think of that one with Riker. I try to block out the Wesley-centric episodes as much as <laughs> I can. because it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then the doctor like reveals that act- the guard that was dead when Ian walked in there was actually Altos's friend Yprin. And the doctor had met with Eeprin and was like, we were going to take the key. And for some reason he moved before we said we were going to. And now he's dead and we got to figure out what's going on. So he tells Altos and Sabita to, you know, research like case histories and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, Barbara and Susan are going to be detectives, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And... Yeah, when
1: they start talking to the one dude, as he's this guy who's telling about what he found on the scene, he's just standing there right. with his hands on his hips, like blah. <laughs> yeah. I do not understand that pose, but man, he was sure of himself.
2: Yeah, so he was the guy that was talking with, with Ian when Ian woke up.
1: And that, you know, that pose right there is what makes me go, I think he's the one that stole it. Yeah. Just that one
0: pose.
2: Well, I mean, you're not far off though. Because I mean, he basically says like, yeah, there were like the relief guard, the one who was supposed to relieve Eprin was the first one on the scene. Mm-hmm. Then there were like two other people. He's like, then I showed up. And so then once he showed up, they opened the door and they got into the room. And they're like, the weird thing is we can't find the key. Because everything that came out of the room was searched. And everything in the room was searched. And mm-hmm. you know, we searched the body we searched everything we cannot find the key and the doctor's already like i got this one solved
1: (laughs) i want to have faith in the doctor but i don't know
2: right
1: i don't think he actually cares at this point as long as he has a fun time right
2: so yeah he tells the the guy one guy the original detective who worked the case to get out of the room so that they could talk and so he sort of goes through the motions of you know hey you're ian you know like what would you do and so it's like he basically like the murderer must have already been in the room when ian arrived and so then ian comes he knocks ian out he pins the blame for the murder on him and then he's like so what do you do you the alarms already sounded you can't get away because people are already rushing forward and then it's like you pretend to be the first one there so then it's like it must be the relief guard and that makes sense because that's why Eeprin let the guy in right Because he was expecting him so they sort of figure out the who and the doctor's like oh yeah I know where the key is but I'm not telling because if I say then Taryn who's the the detective who worked the case is like Taryn will be then like I've closed up this case because I found you know the thing and there's no proof yet that Ian didn't put it there so the doctor's like we gotta investigate some more
1: I don't get it if the doctor knows where it's at why doesn't he Just get the key, and then they all jump.
2: Because I think they took Ian's dial away when they like. I was just
1: Ian's dial too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So they go to talk to the relief guard, who's named Aiden, but his wife is the one that answers the door. I don't know, did you get Sinister Housewife vibes from her right off the bat, or did it wait a little while?
1: It waited a, well, I got something (laughs) weird from her, and I wasn't sure if it was Sinister Housewife or not.
2: Yeah, She's either a bad actress, or she's a Sinister Housewife.
1: (laughs) I mean, it could have been either.
2: Right, yeah, this is Dr. Who, so it could go either way. Yeah, so then they talk a little bit about, you know, hey, you know, why would anyone steal the keys? And she's like, she she knows that right off the bat, though. She's like, oh, because there's only five of them in the universe. So anybody would pay a whole lot for one of these.
1: She's
2: yeah, like, oh, and okay. she knows a lot about this. Right. <laughs> but then Aiden comes home, and he sees uh, Susan and Barbara there, and he's, like, instantly mad. He's like, get out of here! Oh, oh, that was, um... No, that that's not quite what he does. Like, first, he's like, hey, I don't know anything more. I've told everybody everything. And then Susan says something about how, like, well, my grandfather knows where it's hidden, and he says, you can't because I...
0: Mm-hmm. and then
2: he's like oh of course because ian must have told you and they're like yeah okay
1: they're like no it's because we know you stole it and then he raises a hand to susan
2: yep and he yells at them to leave so they leave but then they're listening at the door and him and his wife are arguing and you hear him slap her yeah yeah so then we they but also they...
1: get to see him they also see him dial that right. weird own looking thing mm-hmm. that looks like a weird curling iron attached to a box
2: right Here's where I feel like they gave away something they shouldn't have because then they cut to showing like the prosecutor at the trial picking up the phone and being like, hey, don't say any more, but here's what you might have to do. Mm -hmm. But then we cut to the actual trial. So we're two days ahead. The prosecutor saying like, hey, we, we, you know, we show through our methods that the mace was held in Ian's hand. But then the doctor, (laughs) it's his turn. And he gets to stand up there, and suddenly he is just like, oh, yeah, theatricality, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> is like the murderer is in this room but it is not ian and so then he calls sabitha to testify and she's like i have the key and so she just pulls one of the keys that she has but of course Mm -hmm. everybody there thinks it's the key that they're looking for and the doctor says who gave it to you and she points at aiden and aiden's like she couldn't have found it and then he tries to run away but everybody's grabbing at him he's like all right i'll tell you i'm not in this alone they made me do it and And then like there's this flash and he's dead I don't know if the flash was confusing to you. I know like the commentary, like the people watching it, you know, like it was like William Russell who played Ian and Caroline Ford who played Susan and the director. They were all like, what was that? What killed him?
1: I mean, to me, it just kind of reminded me of the Daleks, the way that, you know, you sometimes get a flash on screen when that happens. So it didn't worry me.
2: I think that's what it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be like a ray gun or something. But yeah, it, it is weird that they don't give any context for it. It's just the screen flashes and he's dead. Yep. And then like his wife, it's hilarious. You can like almost do a 10 count. And then she's like, oh, yeah. you know, it's like so forced. And it's like, but she's like clearly had to take time to think about, oh, wait, how should I react to this? Oh, I'm sad. That's it. I'm sad. I <laughs> don't so bad. Then they um, go to the doctor, like, explaining to the judges that it really wasn't the key that they're looking for, that it was, you know, one of the keys that they had already gotten, that mm-hmm. they wanted to expose Aiden, and they're like, oh, okay. But then when, you know, the trial starts again, they're basically like, okay, well, this is bad and, you know, it stinks that Aiden died so we couldn't question him further, but basically there's no, you know, it still seems that Ian, especially since he came here for the purpose of getting this key, might must have been the guy and aiden was just his accomplice. Ugh. yeah so they're going to go forward with the execution
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then barbara gets a note saying that there'll be more another death if they say where the key is hidden then when they're like death what is this about barbara gets a call and it's susan who's they made me call you they're going to kill me she's been kidnapped yep and that's the end of sentence of death yeah and now we get to our final episode which is actually called the keys of marinus
1: which makes sense
2: yeah (laughs) so sabitha thinks that they need to tell Taryn, and barbara says no because she doesn't want the doctor to know so that he can concentrate on ian but at the same time i'm like wait the trial's over so what can the doctor constant i mean what what's the doctor concentrating on ian going to do right Meanwhile, Ian's put, like, apparently he has to stand until his execution, which just seems needlessly (laughs) mean. Because it's not like it's like, oh, yeah, I'm like five minutes, we're going to execute you. It's hours. Mm -hmm. He's going to just stand here for hours while this clock, with absolutely no way of telling like how long the clock is, you know, there's nothing other than at the top of the clock, there's a star. And when the counter reaches the star, that's when he dies. But there's nothing in between around the thing to even give you like, oh, minutes or whatever. It's just like the top. So... (laughs) so Barbara's like okay well we know aiden was involved so maybe his wife knows who he was working with and so my question here was why does everyone just assume that she is beyond suspicion (laughs) because it's like wouldn't it make sense if this guy's involved that maybe it was his wife that he was working with i mean it doesn't necessarily mean that but it could be that's where my brain goes (laughs) i know (laughs) so But Althus is like, oh, yes, of course, she'll be really eager to help us because she'll want to catch her husband's murderer. And I'm just, like, (laughs) facepalming, unless she is the murderer yeah she's like oh i don't know anything you know and they keep pushing her and then she finally says i understand why you're doing this you must be so worried after you talk to susan but i can't help you i don't know anything and then they leave and barbara's like i never told her that we talked to susan Uh and so yeah kala you know although the woman's name is kala she's telling susan like your friends are so stupid and they're not going to come back and you know then she gets a call from the and he says to kill her because she Susan can hide here. So she's going to go kill Susan. But then Alto, Sabitha, and Barbara like burst in and grab her and they call Taryn to arrest her. But basically, you know, they're all excited because they think, okay, this is going to get Ian off finally.
1: Well, of course not.
2: Yeah, because Kala, when she's questioned, says, oh no, Ian was the other person involved. They, they got her arrested, but Ian is still implicated.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But then Susan remembers that Kala said to the person on the phone that, or he said to her because she could hear because those speakers on that phone are ridiculous. He said to her that he was going to get the key and then come pick Kala up. And so the doctor's like, okay, this is where how we do this because I know where the key is, so we're going to catch this guy while he's doing it. So it's a completely dark room. Oh, and that was the one thing I forgot to mention. Like, once the trial was over, they put all the evidence in, like, this sort of cupboard that was outside the courtroom.
1: With just a few random books thrown in there. <laughs> like, that is where you store evidence? Are you kidding me? <laughs>
2: so they're so they're hiding in this room it's completely dark and this person walks in and goes to the cupboard and they grab for it but then some of the guards who were like hiding down below like grab the guy and the doctor turns on the lights and they pull off the scooby-doo mask and it's the prosecutor
1: oh, i don't know how we ever could have guessed that <laughs>
2: right. and he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those nosy kids you know the doctor like grab because he has the mace that was from the murder and so the doctor grabs the mace he unscrews it and shows like the end can actually pull apart into two halves and that's where the key was hidden
1: hey you know it worked
2: yep and so it's like yeah because that was the one thing that nobody checked because it was inside the murder weapon and so everyone you know no one thought that would be where the key was hidden
1: i would never think to open try to open a murder weapon i mean
2: right So that finally gets Ian off the hook because then they realize he was the guy that did it, the prosecutor was the one who did it, and Sabitha and Altos move on to go back to Arbitan, taking all but the final key. And then the city officials basically get, you know, say it's okay for them to take the key. So they get the official like thing to do that. And then they leave. So yeah, you were you were mentioning before you feel like the like the sort of guard costumes are sort of Nazi like esque. Yeah. I like the prosecutor costume, though, because he got a cape.
1: He did get a cool cape.
2: <laughs> I always like it when people get to wear capes.
1: I mean, honestly, other than that, they also looked very similar to Imperial officers.
2: Yeah, no, no, I definitely see that. Yeah, my thing there is, okay, so the city elders of Millennius were clearly okay with, like, if you were, like, someone sent by Arbitan just giving the key to you. Why didn't Yprin just go to them and be like, hey, I was sent by Arbitan. Can you give me the key? <sighs>
1: Yeah, no, he wanted to engage in deception.
2: Right, yeah. So he posed as a guard for years, apparently. He always he wanted said. to be a spy. Oh, right. <laughs> but oh well, let's not think about that one too long. Because now we're back at the pyramid and Altos and Sabitha have been caught by the Vord. Yartek is trying to get Altos to tell him where the final key is. Mm -hmm. He's not talking but then he brings Sabitha in and she's like I don't care what happens to Altos. Do what you want. But then he threatens to kill Altos and she's like oh no no don't do that. Yeah we knew that wasn't gonna work. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Then he tells Altos that he'll kill Sabitha if you know he like Altos doesn't talk and so then Altos says okay that that man the doctor he's the one that has the final key how he knows that i don't know because they left before the key was given to anybody but okay
1: i think he was just trying to stall for time
2: i guess although now we finally reveal that sabitha and altos are apparently in love with each other which okay
1: we all knew that was gonna happen
2: (laughs) there's like zero chemistry there but all right It's like Mr. Bland who doesn't blink even after he's like you think like oh, okay he's trying to show that he's hypnotized so he doesn't blink but then it's like oh even after he's like not hypnotized he's still like super bland doesn't blink
1: You know maybe she loves the fact that he does not wear pants because he's still not wearing them.
2: Oh well, that's true. Maybe she sees something down there that impresses her. I don't know Maybe
1: I did not see anything personal <laughs> And trust me you could see
2: And Well we don't know what guys on Marinus are like <laughs> And, and Sabitha, it's like, I mean, I get what she's going for. She's getting for, going for like, I'm like the daughter of nobility or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like she's just phoning it in. I don't, I don't, I don't get much from either of them. I'm not, yeah, I'm not super on either of them. And I don't think that the whole love story really works, but all right, it's fine they're the only two survivors of their like little group there so maybe there's something for that so then we go to this like scene that I absolutely love where the doctor and Ian are both sneaking around a wall and like they're about to like you know it's like two different corners of a wall and they go and they're like just turning like hesitantly to see if there's something on the other side and they almost bump heads with each other and it's just hilarious like they both have the you know moment and then like oh good it's just you
1: (laughs) I was trying to remember what caused me to write the note that I needed that moment of comedy and that's what it was <laughs> yes, it was perfect
2: that. yeah so the doctor apparently has had time already to go down to the TARDIS and back because he's like hey the force field's gone and they're like okay great all we have to do is give Arbitan the final key and we can leave
1: I mean technically they don't even have to give Arbitan the final oh, key right and that's what definitely- I'm like
2: I'm like if you don't think that the conscience is a good idea doctor now's the time to go there's no force field but oh well Ian is like well I'm a little worried because I don't see Altos or Sabuta anywhere and where are they and then Yartek master of disguise.
0: Oh my god. <laughs>
2: It's like, if I put on Arbitan's hood, they can't tell the difference. <laughs> and so if you if you haven't watched the episode and you're listening to this, I can't describe how, I mean, the Vord heads are like three times the size of a person's head. I mean, these, this is giant contraption that surrounds somebody's head, you know, the actor's head. And there's these bits that sort of like come out of it and sort of, they almost look like tubes that like run out and back in at the back. And so with the hood up, it looks like this giant giant head
1: think of the teletubbies heads only instead of coming out of the top of their heads it's coming out of their forehead at an angle
2: yeah yeah that's a good description uh he's sitting there and waiting for you know the TARDIS crew to come because he's going to pretend to be Arbitan and he has Sabitha and Altos put in a cell and he tells the other Vord to keep out of sight.
1: And this is the worst deception ever.
2: <laughs> right. And, well, and then even, like, the doctor comes on one of the Vord, and he, like, gently wraps it with his cane and knocks it out. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, they realize that the Vord have taken over at that point, and but they're still going to look for Sabitha and Altos because they want to rescue them if they can. And Barbara just, like, goes down, grabs the Vord's knife, and is like, oh, yeah, now we're armed. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Ian and Susan find Yartek, who's pretending to be Arbitan, and he turns, so his back is to them, and he's like, hey, don't come any closer. I've been disfigured by this horrible disease, and, you know, you don't want to get it. Just, where's the key? Do you have the key? And they're like, well... No- wh-
1: they didn't see his face or hood or whatever underneath that hood. There is just yeah. absolutely no way. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. But then they're like, wait, why are you just talking about the key? Like, you know, how's Sabitha? How's everything going? He's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I've just been obsessed, you know, like, yeah, Sabitha's fine. Just, you know, we need to finish this.
1: Give me the key. And Ian's like, here. And he's like, no, just throw it on the floor.
2: <laughs> right. Oh, well, first he mentioned something like, I forget how they got on the subject of Altos, but he basically says, like, I don't know somehow Altos comes up and he's like well what do you think of this man that's like with my daughter now and Ian's like well what do you think about him because obviously
1: like, you know Arbitan had known
2: him right exactly and basically Yartek it gives the impression that he thinks that Altos was just somebody that they met and then took with them which I don't know why he makes that assumption but whatever and so because of that Ian knows something is up but that's why Susan is surprised Ian throws the key down because she's like Ian and he just throws it down and you know it's like okay but they leave like
1: oh, Ian even I knew that that had to be the fake
2: right because because Yartek is like oh bring the doctor because I want to talk to him too and so Ian leaves and Susan and yeah that's what they meet back up with Barbara and the doctor meanwhile the Barbara and Barbara and the doctor have like let Sabitha and Altos go and so they share their stories and Susan's like well Ian gave the key to him and Ian's like I gave him a key (laughs) it's like i knew that was super shady but then saditha freaks out because she's like oh no if they put a wrong key in there the machine will turn on but it will blow up so they leave yartek puts in the keys the machine blows up the pyramid starts collapsing and they get out.
1: That ending felt so rushed. Yeah. I was like, wow, okay, that was fast, and I still don't understand. I keep wondering, what was, what was the board actually planning to do? Because they couldn't start the machine without the keys. Once they turned it on, I'm, I'm assuming they knew of a way to corrupt it and change it around and twist it to their own thing. Otherwise, why not just leave it off or intentionally right. try to blow it up anyway if you didn't like the machine? I am lost on their motivations.
2: Well, yeah, I think that they were planning on using it to turn people to slay slaves basically like oh. the brains were doing in that one city Let's say,
1: why didn't they just go talk to the brains because <laughs> the rest of the robots did a great job of killing the inhabitants
2: yeah 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 you're right they're never given a very good motivation
1: oh but we have to keep going to the very end because i have a note for the last moment of this episode
2: okay <laughs> but yeah so the doctor is talking to sabitha outside the tardis and he's basically like hey your father was this really smart guy but look <laughs> and it's great to want people to be nice to each other and everything but do not have machines control people it's really bad it's not a great idea and I'm just like where was that in episode one (laughs) But, so that's how they leave things there. Susan asks where they'll go, and Sabitha and Alta say they'll probably go back to Millennius. It's at least a place to start.
1: Well, at least nothing there is actively trying to kill them right away.
2: Right, exactly. Ian says, like, what do we do with this final key? And Alta says, eh, give it to the doctor.
1: He can have fun studying it.
2: Then, yeah, they all say goodbye to each other, and they leave.
1: Oh, no, they don't just leave. It's one of the worst-looking miniature models I have ever <laughs> seen in my life. It's so obviously... It looks like it's made of Sculpey by somebody who just had a TARDIS described it to them but has never seen it before.
2: Yeah, the TARDIS doesn't work. I like the actual island model, but yeah, yeah, you're, yeah the TARDIS doesn't. Oh,
1: look they the best. it looks so bad. It looks so bad.
2: Yeah, They basically do what they did in the first episode, but just reversed it.
1: Yeah, I don't like it.
2: It's the same footage. They just put it in reverse. So the footage before is they're zooming in on the island and the TARDIS materializes as they're zooming in, and this is them zooming out and the TARDIS dematerializes. It
1: worked easier the first way, but starting with that, starting zoomed in on a terrible looking TARDIS miniature. Mm. mm
2: -mm. Alright, I can see that. I think we've already talked about this. I wanted to ask you how you think the Vord Raid is villains.
1: I don't know. They're okay. They're not really around a whole lot. They're really stupid. I don't know their motivations like i want to know their motivations because i'm kind of curious to see if maybe they're really the good guys of this whole planet they're nowhere near my daleks yeah so i don't know they're not impressive to me and it's i don't think it's their fault because i just don't know enough about them other than the fact that yeah no they're really stupid and their costumes oh my god those damn
2: outfits they're obviously a civilization of rubber fetishists and the conscience was telling them that was wrong and they were like but it feels so right
1: <laughs> oh my god. That's so awful. Why did you have to go there? And
2: so they rebelled against the machine for telling wow. them that they couldn't live their lives the way they wanted to. <laughs>
1: oh. Just, I mean they're okay like I said they're okay they're just yeah. I don't know enough about them to really decide if they're cool or not
2: yeah it's telling that they that they were never brought back in the TV show at all like I say there's there's an audio play with them they've actually featured in Doctor Who comics mm-hmm. before but yeah that's that's it it's only in like the sort of expanded media that they've ever shown up again a lot of people say that this, this story is plotted like a video game yeah do you think it's like a video game because I have a slightly different take on it
1: I mean it feels Like that, in the terms of having a quest and stuff, yeah, but uh, meh, meh, it could
2: be. I still go back to the Odyssey with this. This feels more like like a myth, or like you know the labors of Hercules, or any of those things where it's like a story of somebody like going and you know following like a path of I've got to get this and I've got to get that and I've got to get the other. I mean, so, I realize the video games do that too, yeah, but, that's, that's but I feel like different. it's sort of selling a like selling it short to say it's just like a because it's got more plot than that.
1: <laughs> it does. I mean, trust me, you go do some fantastic questing in video games that have amazing amounts of plot that are awesome often based on mythologies.
2: Yeah. Although that's really in very recent history because like they weren't like that before. But yeah. All right. I can see that. What are your thoughts? I already said mine. What are your thoughts on Sabitha and Altos? Other than that he wears no pants.
1: (laughs) I mean, other than the fact that he wears no pants, uh, which will forever bother me. They're okay. I mean, I sort of saw them once I knew that the two of them were released from hypnosis. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, they're going to fall in love. We're not even going to notice it. It's cool.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It wasn't convincing, but it was not unexpected.
2: Okay. And Susan in this story, what do you think about Susan?
1: A little bit more hysterical child than I wanted. Although by the time that we got to her being kidnapped, she was a little bit better.
2: Yeah. Well, and I still like the bridge scene. I think they needed more of that. I I think that's the thing that really they need to push. They should have pushed more with Susan is the, I'm just going to take care of this situation Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Because I like that.
1: You see, for me, that scene felt more like she was trying... Trying to run away more than her her thought was, oh my gosh, let me see how I can help.
2: Mm, Okay.
1: I got the impression she was trying to get away.
2: Oh, okay. I never thought that. I was just, she's like, I'm lightweight. I can do this. You know, because I mean, obviously you don't want like, you know, Ian to crawl across that thing because it's made of ice. So it's not going to be very stable. Right. And so it kind of made sense that Susan, she's the lightest of all of them. you be the one to crawl across. And she doesn't whimper or whine or anything. She's just like, I'm just going to get the, like, she looks scared when like one of the pieces falls away, which is understandable. You know, like she doesn't do any of that sort of blubbering she does whenever she's surprised by something. And- Right. I wish that they'd done more of that. All right. What do you think about the doctor in this one?
1: He was okay. I mean, considering that we were missing him for a couple of episodes. Right. <laughs> he was he was typical arrogant doctor. I wish he had spoken up about, you know, having machine control people's minds in the first episode. Mm. But there wasn't a whole lot he could do about it since they got a force field around the TARDIS. Oh, how has he survived this long? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's one of the things you always have to wonder about him because it's like, did he and Susan just really, like, not do much of anything before they met Ian and Barbara? And it's just like, now they're just, ah, now we got a few more people. We can do some dangerous stuff now. (sighs) I think in the last two episodes, he just becomes like he really comes alive and becomes amazing because all that courtroom stuff and just the fact that he loves being the center of attention, mm-hmm. all of that, I just eat that up and like playing the detective and doing the whole thing of, you know, like, oh, Susan, pretend to be the body and Barbara, you're Ian and, you know, like walking them through the whole thing and everything. I just I love all of that. It was pretty fun. Yeah. And of course, we have Ian and Barbara.
1: I still say that Barbara is my favorite. She's not only saved their butts a couple times, but she's just awesome. Obviously, everybody likes her. Look at Trapper. He was all about some Barbara. (laughs) He wanted to sink some teeth into that. (laughs) More than one way, apparently. I love her. I think Ian had some issues, once again, very dismissive of Barbara in certain cases. I feel like Ian's going to get them into more trouble than, not, than anybody else, if only because he doesn't pay attention to Barbara.
2: Well, I think this one, I like this one because everybody gets their chance to shine. They do. Barbara saves them in Morpheton. Ian's the one that saves them in the, you know, in the Snow Mountain place. You know, the doctor's the one that comes in in Millennials and is helping to solve the problem. Like he doesn't completely like 100% do everything, but, you know, he's, he's got it all figured out and he makes sure that they catch the bad guy and everything. And even Susan gets to do the thing on the bridge, which isn't huge as the other three, but at least she's doing something. So the fact that we've got these different scenarios means that they got to do something with everybody.
1: I did like that.
2: Yeah. You know, even the fact that the Doctor was gone for two episodes, though, I think was really good for Ian and Barbara because it really meant that they need to carry their show and be the stars. And so it's almost like Ian and Barbara because of the fact the way the show was made in this early period the importance of the companion characters was higher because Hartnell took holiday, you know vacation. I keep saying holidays because that's what British call vacations Right. And so they're like oh the doctor was on or William Hartnell was on holiday it's like no okay vacation but uh, you know he was taking vacations throughout this season and the next season also he takes some vacations so you need to have them be there and be like the you know the person that can hold the series and so I think that that was important and that's why the companion characters now are so strong is because i think it was sort of baked into the show from the beginning is like these characters need to be more important they can't just be a sidekick they've got to be a little more than that to have their own sort of stuff even though the doctor actor doesn't go on vacations anymore Mm -hmm. you know they they need to do that yeah so yeah final thoughts
1: I thought it was fun. I thought this was some fantastic Death Planet everywhere they went, even if only because I made fun of him for wearing no pants. At least, at least I <laughs> was kept on my, my kept my attention on Altos just to see if he ever put on pants. <laughs> but I thought it was fun. It gave me it gave them more chances to do stuff. And while it felt rushed in some places, at least I didn't feel like it was slow. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed this little arc. I thought it was interesting. I just want wish I knew more.
2: Yeah this one uh, well, getting back to altos he's like a train wreck that you just can't look away from
1: it's so true <laughs> oh that poor boy
2: you want to look away but just the lack of pants keeps drawing you back <laughs>
1: I wasn't even sure that I was seeing no pants thought maybe it was just the coloring on the screen from black right. and white but it took me a couple of scenes I was like nope he has no pants
2: well that's like with the Thals I kept thinking to myself that can't be that they've got holes cut in their pants that's oh, gotta be they. like some sort of like cloth like patching down the sides of the legs that's that's what I'm seeing and it just looks because it's in black and white like there's holes cut in the pants but nope nope those are holes cut in the pants for the yep. Thals so. yeah no I, I totally get that yeah for me I mean like this like I said before this feels like those kind of like adventure. Your serials because of that it moves along i mean you can't say this one drags right because we're just going from place to place to place and in some places it feels too rushed like you mentioned like the resolution at the end because it doesn't even get a whole episode because we're, we're finishing up the millennius plot and then we're doing the resolution it feels super quick Mm-hmm. that also has the downside of okay we can't build anything up so we don't drag but we don't really build up anything and in some cases that means that things like oh do the board have a motivation we don't know <laughs> You know, so that's kind of a problem i really think that the vord design probably needed a little more work because i feel like they're silly i mean yeah the wetsuit aspect makes sense when they're moving through the acid sea you can say like oh that this is like some protective gear whatever well, why when didn't they
1: like unzip part of it like i would have liked well- to have seen a face
2: At least the flippers needed to go once they're on land. Because one of them even... I don't know if you noticed it in the last episode. One of them trips...
0: Yes, I did. see And he's that. like,
2: sort of like stumbling, like he catches himself. He doesn't fall flat on his face, but he's like tripping as he's walking around. He's like, you're not supposed to wear flippers on the ground.
1: You know? Like I said, I just wanted background. Maybe if I had yeah. more background, I would have enjoyed them more, and yeah. maybe I wouldn't have been so against Arbitan if I'd known more. But the way that it was presented to me, I think both sides were bad.
2: No, yeah. no, I'll agree with that. And yeah, and so, so yeah, we got these plot holes. We got the Vord, who are supposed to be our central villain, who don't like me. I mean, honestly, the brains were the scariest thing on. Oh this.
1: gosh, yeah, no, they were
2: awful. Like, if we found out there was a whole race of brains, and that these were just some of them, and that there were more of them out there, that would be the villain to use in later Doctor Who stories.
1: They missed out on that one.
2: Yeah, but to me, like, this one deserves credit for just the sheer audacity.
1: I'll, I'll give it that, yeah. <laughs>
2: because they went for it. They were just like, we have no budget, and <laughs> you know, then we just gotta do, like, these one a week, and we're gonna have to create a whole, like, what we would normally do for a whole serial, we're just gonna do every week for six weeks. I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's pretty amazing. They crank out new costumes, new sets every week for six weeks. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty amazing. And so, yeah, maybe that means they didn't have a pants budget for one guy, but you know... (laughs) at least they went for it and I really think they deserve credit for like actually creating a world that feels like a world where there's like different countries and stuff and like it's different oh, yeah. it's not like every city is the same as this one city so what's your final rating?
1: I'm gonna go with a seven and a half.
2: Okay I gave it a seven.
1: Yeah cause it, just, it really was much more fun and I did feel a bit more invested in this one. Yep. Brains with eye stocks that easily just pushes it over the
2: top <laughs> That really is the highlight to this one is the brains. And then Barbara smashing that crap out of them <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That scene is so good because it's like, it's exactly what you would do if you were in the room with the brains in the jars and they were saying, kill you, kill you. Yeah. So yeah, total props to Barbara on that one.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. Well, you're, you're in for a treat Uh oh. because next time is a Barbara centric cereal
1: yay is this the one you were telling me to look forward to yes oh my gosh i'm so excited
2: yes so yes barbara is definitely the send i mean they all get to you well it's the one for for susan to take two weeks off so she doesn't get a whole lot but everybody gets you know the doctor and gets stuff to do too but like this is this is a barbara story
1: i can't wait she's my girl
2: Yeah. So I'm going to do my normal thing of, you know, hey, if you want to like look up extra stuff about Doctor Who, I'm going to talk about, it's a book, it's called The Handbook by David J. Howe, Doctor Who, The Handbook. Okay. And what it is, is again, it's for the, because this came out before the new series. It's something where he basically like compiled all the behind the scenes stuff that he could with the original series through, so through 1989. And it's a giant book. I mean, he, he originally published it as, as what a separate one for each doctor, but when he reprinted, it's like one like giant book now. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a good book for like looking up stuff like the details, like some of the stuff that I know about like how they made the show and you know different decisions that were made and why they were made and different producers and all that sort of stuff. So, but that's the sort of thing that interests you. It's called the Handbook, and you can still get it at it's Telos T E L O S. That's the name of a planet in Doctor Who publishing. Telos Publishing. They have a website, so yeah, you can find it there. There if you can't find it like at Amazon or anywhere like that. Anyway, yeah, like I was mentioning, next time is going to be The Aztecs.
0: Ooh.
2: Yeah. Four episodes. It's okay. A four-parter. By John Luca who wrote Marco Polo. Okay. Yeah. Do you have anything to plug, Juliet?
1: Since uh, I'm still, you know, working from home and trying to do some physical distancing from folks, mm-hmm. I've been rereading a bunch of books and I just got to plug a trilogy that's one of my favorites. If you're into science fiction at all, I highly recommend by Dennis E. Taylor, the Bobiverse trilogy. And the first book, I, I only read it because the title was so weird. It's called We Are Legion, We Are Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my gosh, is it like every it's like it's got so many geeky references in it, but it has a ton of science in it too, and it's enjoyable. You blow right through them. Highly recommend this trilogy if you're looking for some new reading material.
2: Okay. No. <laughs> right. When you said baba, I was thinking like I was thinking like anime Japanese.
1: Oh no, <laughs> sorry. Baba verse as in ba- b-o-b-i.
2: Uh, okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I got that when you said our name or like we are Bob and we are Legion or whatever. I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Bob as in the name Bob." All right. <laughs> yep, yeah,
1: but it's called we are the first one is called we are Legion and then we are Bob is in parentheses. Okay. It's so good.
2: <laughs> All right, that sounds wacky just on the face of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have much to plug other than that. Uh, actually, it'll probably be over with by the time this is uh this this comes out, but I am recording some panels for Virtual Dragon Con. Ooh. So, yeah, check that out. Dragon Con has finally been canceled. I, I really wondered for a bit there if they were going to, because they kept, like, insisting, like, oh, no, no, we're going to have Dragon Con.
1: And all the rest sort of us are going, how can you pack 80,000 people safely into those hotels? <laughs>
2: right. And so, yes, they did cancel it, but they are going to do what a lot of cons are doing and do, like, virtual panels and stuff like that. So
1: With the Dragon Con tech team, though, knowing most of them, I'm pretty sure that we could actually pull it off really well.
2: Yeah. But yeah, so I'm I'm going to do some of those panels. So, you know, watch for me. Definitely got one that's going to be on the Brit track and probably going to be on one for the X track and American Sci-Fi Classics and a few of the other tracks. So nice. yeah, look for me there. I'll pop up. And as I know more, I'll say more, but I'm definitely doing a Doctor Who one for the Brit track.
0: <laughs> Good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> go figure doing a doctor who podcast <laughs> you know and i'm gonna be on a doctor who one but all right so yeah this has been a lot of fun it's a bit on the long side i'm going to have to rethink my limit because i was before i was like oh yeah six parters you know we'll do this one but i'm like i don't know maybe that's a bit much right <laughs> yeah but yeah next time's a four-parter so we're definitely good there okay but uh yeah so <laughs> this is nathan
1: this is juliet
2: and we're signing off You've been listening to Time Streams, a subsidiary of the 42Cast podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, email us at everything42cast.com. at 42cast.com. Beginning music is Vortex, followed by Pulse Rock, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License. Ending music is Voltaic, also by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License.